Welcome to episode 210 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki, episode 5, Journey into Mystery, directed by Kate Heron, written by Tom Kaufman. The head writer for the series is Michael Waldron. But before the fun starts, just want to let you know where you can access exclusive podcasts over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or just hit the link in our show notes. And included in those exclusive podcasts are Patreon credit scenes, supplemental podcasts that correspond with these main shows. So for episode 210, which we are recording on the eve of opening night for Black Widow, not the official release date of July 9th, but it'll be out Thursday night, July 8th. I know a lot of us will be seeing the movie that night. So there's a lot of talk about box office performance, how the movie is expected to perform. So we'll look at that in the Patreon credit scene. And then we can follow up on it when we do a Patreon credit scene that's attached to our spoiler review for Black Widow, which will also be coming out within the next few days once the movie is out and all of you have seen it. So two big podcasts this week because we are spoiled as Marvel fans. And then just make sure you're following us in all those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And again, Patreon podcasts available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And thank you to all of you who have taken the time to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate all of the nice things that so many of you have said over there. And if you have not had a chance to weigh in, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to do so with that rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. So now with all of that out of the way, let's get started with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing much better than last week, man. Holy crap. I was out last week. I was just telling people, or you, Sean, before the show, that uh, I pretty much slept for like 15 hours straight. That's what it felt like, anyway, on last Thursday. So I was bummed when I couldn't make the uh, the episode But uh, you know, for our podcast. But the good news is, the great news is I get to talk about this week's episode, and I'd much rather miss last week's than this week's episode. So I had to make sure I was without a doubt. I had to be. I had to make it make it happen, regardless, because this was a crazy week. We got two giant podcasts to record, and people know when we record these podcasts, it, they're not just like a forty-five minute fluff piece, right? Like we we go we go in deep, man. We go in deep on every level, from the comics to the actual MCU lore. I mean, it's we don't we don't spare no expense over here. We're like John Hammond, Jurassic <laughs> Park, right? We spare it's no true. expense. So it, you know, it, it, we got freaking Loki, second to last episode. We've got Black Widow. I'm going the first time in a movie theater tomorrow, Sean. First time in over a year, I will be in a freaking theater yeah. watching an MCU film. I can't wait. Well, first time in two years with an MCU film since Spider-Man well, Far From well, Home. Right. And I had my return to the theater for a couple of screenings of Black Widow. Very, very blessed last week. And that was my first time in a theater since February of 2020. Same. And mm -hmm. it had actually been, when I saw Black Widow for the first time, it had been two years and two days since I saw Spider-Man Far From Home for the very first time. So it was a while since I had new MCU on the big screen, and I know a lot of you listening are in a similar situation, and by the time you're listening to this podcast, maybe you already went to the theater and saw Black Widow, in which case, awesome, uh, or maybe you're about to, in which case, also awesome. awesome. 
And if the theater's not your thing yet, or it's not available, because I know depending on where you're at, theaters may not necessarily be open where you are, and you're catching the film on Premiere Access on Disney+, Plus. also awesome to get caught up on that MCU goodness, and Black Widow is great, as is Episode 5 of Loki, Journey into Mystery. And yes, Paul, it was tough not having you last week to talk about Episode 4, because it was great. And then episode five was somehow even better. This was Mm -hmm. phenomenal, just exceptional. And I love that it was titled as we begin our breakdown before we even get into the scenes, Journey into Mystery, which I think a lot of you would have recognized the title of the episode, Journey into Mystery Comics. That's where Thor debuted in issue 83, the Marvel version of Thor. I know Norse mythology dates back prior to Marvel Comics by just a little bit. And, Doesn't in my book. <laughs> yeah, and then Journey into Mystery 85, a couple of issues later, was the debut of Loki, or maybe we'll just start calling him classic Loki, because um, mm. Richard E. Grant jumped right off of those pages for this episode. And uh, just getting into how all of this starts, we uh, we open as we're, we're going to head into the void for the very first time, but we actually begin in the TVA bullpen with this rotating tracking shot that goes from this TVA bullpen to the elevator, up the elevator, to where we saw the timekeepers last week, the severed head, and it keeps going, and then it really opens up, and we see the void. And that shot, it reminded me of Killmonger taking the throne in Black Panther, like after he Mm. defeats T'Challa at Warrior Falls. There was that upside-down kind of rotating shot, but this one just kept on rotating, and I think this whole... The whole point of this was to be disorienting. You weren't really supposed to be able to gain your footing in all of this because that's kind of where we were at the end of episode four. Like, what the hell just happened? Loki was gone and now he's back and now there's a bunch of Lokis, including an alligator one. So this, the way the camera (laughs) movement on this, it really just reflected the chaos. And, And opening it with the TVA made sense because it's an organization that's built on order being thrown completely out of it and losing control because everybody, well, not everybody, but some key folks have discovered the lie that the TVA is based on that uh, the timekeepers, A, exist and are not androids, uh, and B, everyone who worked for the TVA is created by the timekeepers. We now know all of that's not true, but we will check back in with the TVA. First, we've got to take our trip to the void, catching up with our Loki and four more Classic Loki, as I said, played by Richard E. Grant. Kid Loki, played by Jack Veal. Boastful Loki, played by Diobia Opare. And Alligator Loki. Uh, Our Loki wants to know where we are. I think we can all relate. Classic Loki (laughs) gets him up to speed real quick. This is the Void. That's Eliath. And we're his lunch. Eliath being the big purple cloud that we see in the background. Purple, Paul. Purple. Purple. Uh, (laughs) And... Uh, that, that. Yeah, that big purple thing, uh, it eats matter, living or otherwise, from reset timelines. And uh, it wasn't just the Kang reference with purple. And yes, we are fully authorized to use the word Kang in this episode of the podcast, because this episode of the series on Disney Plus certainly points us in that direction, although all may not be what it seems. We will discuss that before this podcast is through. But the face of Eliath kind of reminded me of Tremors. And I know you've seen Tremors. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Come on now. So it did kind of remind me a little bit of that, although it had more defined like eyes sort of than than Tremors. And also those things weren't big and purple and glowing. But the shape, 
the shape of the head. Yeah, it did kind of remind me just of that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, the little, the little like little ones, right? Yeah, although they didn't have eyes either. They like had to open yeah. up their thing to kind of like get infrared. <laughs> Tremor. The first two Tremors movies are great. Um, I, 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 I assume there's another one that wasn't. There's like five of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, first two I can I can uh, attest yeah. are, are are a lot of fun. Beyond that, I, I don't yeah. know. Um, but Eliath is not just some big purple made up thing for the purpose of the show. It actually, is from the comic books. Um, although Eliath is not really something that works for Kang or is a guard dog, as they put it here for Kang, actually is someone who has or an entity that has a bigger empire than Kang. If you're talking about these temporal beings that exist simultaneously in and outside of time, that's kind of Eliath. But there are a lot of uh, there are some similarities between the comic book version and the MCU version. But Point being, this is actually from the comic books, believe it or not. Uh, and I just, and I, I love it. I mean, they're pulling from everywhere they possibly can on this show. And what a great start to the void that um, in this impossible set of circumstances that can only confuse you, that the only explanation you get to start is uh, just a few sentences from classic Loki to be like, yeah, just accept it and let's go. Yeah, that. Oh, my God. So just kind of pick up where the last episode left off, where I would where I mainly would have the most to talk about, basically. And, you know, I could talk about that, this the whole end credit scene and, and what we're getting into this episode for days, essentially. Yeah. Oh, no, that, to, that tag, one of the best ever in the MCU movies oh, or series, so bar none. Yeah, oh, oh, that was fantastic. And there was. Because you're getting multiple. I don't know about boastful Loki. I'm not sure if that's a, a MCU thing or not. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the comics somewhere. I don't know the, a, a ton of Loki in the in the comic books necessarily, but I do know obviously classic Loki. I know kid Loki. Mm-hmm. So getting those two things right off the bat in the last episode was really fun. I, I knew kid Loki was probably coming. I heard a lot of rumors about it. Right. But but classic Loki, like literally classic. costumed loki in the flesh and just robert e grant looks exactly what you would expect loki to look it's i mean and someone i know what they're trying to say but on twitter someone i even said like you know these are you know people think these are silly costumes but they're fun and i'm like i don't think they're silly those costumes are amazing like i that is straight up jack kirby brought on the screen and i'm not gonna jump way ahead here but i just want to say for the record when you have classic loki going ham at one point does he look cheesy and silly then no because you have a fantastic actor playing him and he is and the costume is just a part of the character and that's the thing about costumes is that yeah they can be cheesy they can you know whatever but as long as the actor portraying them takes it seriously and you, and you know that it kind of they, they almost transcend the silliness quote unquote which i don't think it's silly but you i think it, they do and like you said, Sean, right off the bat, you have Robert E. Grant just 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 commanding the scene with a few short lines. You know, let's go. And I just it was immediately I'm like only in a show that is based off a giant comic book universe. Could you have something like this? And I wouldn't have it any other way. I was so happy seeing And again. It, I don't think it was meant to be. Uh, silly or like, oh, look at this. No, it, it, I mean, it was meant to be like, it's a literal translation of it. 
and you could, you know, obviously it's not like a cool version of it necessarily, I guess. But at the same time, this faithful adaptation to see it literally stripped from the comic books. It's almost like the, the Captain America costume from First Avenger, right? It's like literally right. stripped from the comic books and brought on screen. And, you know, like when they do that, there's a, there's a reason why they adapted and tweak things and et cetera, et cetera. But to see that on screen with that Loki and knowing it just, it just looked so right, Sean, I, I, I know I'm, I'm biased and everything, but his costume was so pitch perfect. It, it honestly looked incredible. It was like, not even like a, I'm not even saying that. And it looks incredible in a cosplay way. No, it looked great. So pin perfect. It was, it was for a lifelong MCU six sixteen or MCU six uh, sixteen fan of the comic books. That was a very much a big moment for me. Being like, man, that is, and, and again, you have a, a world class actor like Robert E. Grant doing it. So I mean, it was fantastic seeing that. So I had to wanted to follow up. Getting that last yeah. week was Richard like, E. Grant, you know, but uh, Richard, sorry, Robert E. May or may not be related but, to Robert E. Grant. Who knows? Who knows? Richard, see, I'm so terrible with names. Everyone knows this, but Richard E. Grant, like he just he's so great in it, and yeah, I I just yeah, just seeing that continue right into this episode was great. And I I I again only in the comic books that these stuff, the stuff is based off of, could you have this people come up with these ideas and throw this out there? It's incredible. So yeah, this was, and again, the purple thing right off the bat, that looks like tremors, which I noticed too. Like I noticed like a, almost like a skull, like mm -hmm. beak bird. Yep. That's what I thought. You know what? I hate, I'm going to say this right now. And this is this honestly just kind of popped in my head. Kind of reminds, reminded me of Conchu's skull from moon Knight. Like I, I don't yeah. think they're related. But it no, looks they're, like that. they're not. But like, I could I could see it a little bit. It's a little bit. But the tremors is even better, by the way. God, I love tremors. So but the purple thing or right out the bat going into like destroy them. And it, I'm just like a giant purple cloud. Come on, Kang. I mean, it, you know, I'm just like, what is this? What's going on here? But yeah, this was this is one of the best. I'd say right, right out the gate introductions to any MCU show that we've gotten. I think this was fantastic. Yeah, this one was a really great start to the episode that just left you right where that mid-credit scene did of just not mm -hmm. quite able to lock into your surroundings just yet and you're just left off balance and you're supposed to be and then it's just going to take you on a ride, which is what this episode totally does. But yeah. we, we leave the void briefly. Uh, we catch up with Sylvie and Renslayer back at the TVA Sylvie is questioning Renslayer about who's really in charge. Renslayer claims not to know, uh, but Renslayer uh, does share that Loki is still alive, and so we get a little bit more of an explanation about the Void than classic Loki was willing to provide, that this is a, that when a timeline is branched, we've been wondering what happens when these reset charges go off and these branched timelines are pruned and actual individuals' variants are pruned or reset. What happens? Well... Here's what happens is that when it's uh, when a branch timeline is reset, it's not reset really so much as it is transferred to a void at the the void mm. at the end of time uh, where every instance of existence collides at the same point and simply stops. The end of time is still being written. So the timekeepers or whoever is really in charge of the TVA are transforming it into a utopia. At least that's the dogma explained by Renslayer. But once again, I just think it, I don't have a whole lot to say about this scene other than it's just another good example of the way this show has these crazy, fantastical, outlandish concepts 
and yet is able to give the audience exactly what they need in order to understand it on its own terms and just move into and enjoy the story. So I liked that setup. We go back into the void and it's time to figure out uh, what's the plan going to be because our Loki wants a plan. Classic Loki has only one plan, don't die, uh, which was funny. And uh, more about Eliath. It's a living tempest that consumes matter and energy. We got that uh, info via Boastful Loki. Entire branch realities are devoured in an instant. And uh, classic Loki has an even better way of explaining it. We're in a shark tank. Eliath is the shark. And alligator Loki (laughs) is offended by this. And (laughs) classic Loki has to explain there's no such thing as an alligator tank. Uh, Besides, it's a better metaphor. He's overly sensitive like the rest of us. This whole dynamic of making classic Loki be the one who can almost be rocket to Groot for Alligator Loki of being able to know exactly what Alligator Loki is saying. Uh, I really love that. I thought that set up a lot of funny bits throughout this episode, starting right here. And then uh, there is, of course, the question of why are there so many so many Lokis if Eliath takes everything out? Uh, but classic Loki says, because Loki survived. That's just what we do. And yes, mm. indeed, that's true, because that's what Loki told Sylvie back on Lamentus 1 that we saw last week in episode 4. Um, so Loki wants to make a plan to escape. The reason everybody else isn't so enthusiastic is because they've been there, done that, and failed. And classic Loki says that this is Kid Loki's kingdom. And uh, when Loki asks why they're all listening to him, what was his Nexus event, Kid Loki shares that he killed Thor. And Mm. boastful Loki smiles at this, but our Loki does not. And I thought this was a really key moment. They didn't really circle back to it in the episode, which was maybe a little bit surprising, although it had so many things going on, they didn't have to. Yeah. But I got to give credit to Jack Veal with his performance, his expression when he said that, as well as Tom Hiddleston's expression when he absorbed that information, because Kid Loki didn't seem happy about that, having killed Thor. Yeah. And neither did our Loki. And it's not the usual like Loki pettiness of kid Loki killed Thor and I didn't. So he's got bragging rights. It's really more that there's nothing to brag about. Our Loki has been examining why he does the things he does and what he really wants. And consequently, he's also learned what he doesn't really want. And our Loki isn't that far for isn't really that far removed from the attacks on his family and the belief that he actually did want to kill Thor. And he's lucky to have learned that he doesn't really want to kill Thor. He's lucky to have learned that before he ever succeeded. But Kid Loki was not so lo- uh, was not so lucky. He found out he didn't really, really want to kill Thor until after it was too late. Uh, so that was, uh, a, they didn't dwell on it at all, but I thought that was still a really good character moment between those two Lokis. Yeah, that was interesting because uh, I... I didn't know what kind of characterization they were going to do with the kid Loki. And granted, he's not going to be in the, the show or the MCU. I'm assuming very long, but the kid Loki was uh, in the comic books a little bit more, not want to say heroic, but just a little bit more less evil and less mischievous in a sense that he wasn't a completely, a complete bad guy. So the fact they kind of start off the bat that this world is, is his, his domain essentially. And he killed Thor. And that was, his, that was the Nexus Nexus event. It was a little surprising. And I think a little, like you said, it was, it was almost like he, re, he, it was regretful. 
it was it wasn't proud of it and we don't know the context either we could for all we know that thor could have been evil and he had to kill thor i don't know i mean i'm assuming not but you never know but it was it was interesting they went that route that that loki is that powerful and that's why he's kind of uh in charge if you will so that was that was a little more of a surprise like you said sean i was like okay and then just seeing tom hiddleston's reaction to that and we'll get into more of his reactions kind of later um which I don't want to get too far into. Man, I want it right now, but I'm not going to. But yeah, it's right. it was def- it definitely it definitely is a put let's put a pin in this uh, kind of a moment or for him, mm-hmm. at least for his emo- at least for his emotions kind of throughout this episode and throughout the series. Definitely one of those moments of like let's put a pin in that and we'll go back to that. But yeah, that's definitely it was definitely a good moment for I think establishing that character as he's not to be trifled with necessarily and he's not not as weak and just because he's a kid as you know you would think and also a great moment for that our our loki if you will that what this means for this character potentially going forward so it it was a really good moment of doing two things at once there yeah it really did uh it did a good job of establishing kid loki's credibility his capability but then also yeah just the emotional arc for our main Loki that we've been following in this series, but also these other guys as well, and that they all, to some extent, live with varying degrees of regret and pretty severe for Kid Loki uh, having succeeded in killing his brother. I mean, we find out later classic Loki missed his brother. You can only imagine how Kid Loki feels in knowing that his brother is gone forever, thanks to him. Um, But that's also something our Loki can relate to because he was somewhat involved in the death of his own mother, uh, so it's not uh, it, it's certainly a, a level in which our Loki can relate to a uh, kid Loki, which I think we see Tom Hiddleston processing just for a, just a moment uh, in there. And speaking of things that you have to catch in just a moment, Thanos's helicopter, the Thanos copter shows up in this episode, which means that there was a branch timeline, at least one in which Thanos used his helicopter as he did in an issue of the comics. And of course, it's ridiculous, but that's going to happen with infinite timelines. But Thanos was never going to have a helicopter in the MCU proper. But this was a perfect place to acknowledge uh, a bit of wacky comics history. So which is not even like the wackiest thing that's coming up in just a moment. But I I Mm. definitely popped for the Thanos copter. Yeah, that was I I totally missed it until I was online and I I was like, oh. Okay, I totally missed that one. Um, so, but I'm also dealing with a puppy and other things, so I, I I couldn't get all every Easter egg. So I did miss that when I got you know when I saw all the stuff online, I was like, okay, that's actually pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully you didn't there. miss what we saw when we uh, ventured underground, which was Frog Thor. Uh, yes, shows up I, in this. So we see Mjolnir, and I was like. Oh, hey, cool, Mjolnir. And then, or I was more like, you know, yeah. Darcy, of like, meow, meow. And I was like, that's great. And yep. then it keeps going. And then like half a second later, this little green Thor is like jumping around in a jar, which uh, mm-hmm. is just great. Like, uh, how? Awesome. Um, you know, like, I think there's always been this desire from those who know that. And also like on the jar, it has like T365. Um, and Frog Thor, I, I think, was like 364, 365 of the mm. Mighty Thor. That's like looking that up to be ready for the show, not like I remember off the top of my head which issues Frog Thor appeared in. But I have read those issues in the Walt Simonson run of Thor. And it's been this whole thing of, you know, when will we see Frog Thor in the MCU? Will we see Frog Thor 
in the MCU. And there was always ways to do it, even in the prime, like main MCU timeline. There's always a way that they could have potentially done it. But this, as far as the way for us to actually see it, uh, I thought this was another way of just picking the right spot to show it for a fun little surprise that also makes it part of the MCU canon, even if it is part of a, an eliminated or pruned branch timeline. Frog Thor exists somewhere in the multiverse that the MCU is a part of. Um, and uh, right now, as far as we know, is still trapped in the void inside a jar, trying desperately to get to Mjolnir. Uh, but seeing Frog Thor was just amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I don't, I would not put the thought, Sean, of Frog Thor coming at some point, because we don't know what happens at the end of this episode six. And for all we know, all the timelines could be restored and this whole thing could be released into the, you know, in their proper place, quote unquote. So you never know what's going to happen with Frog Thor. And we know that he did turn him into a frog at one point in, right. the, in, in our, in our real timeline. So that's true. Just, so I just want to just throw that out there. I don't think you've seen the last of Frog Thor in some way or form. No, I don't think so either. I, I think that when the MCU has these things, it's just a matter of time. Even when something like this happens and there's not, and we don't know if there is or isn't, but even if we say there's no immediate plan to do anything with this inclusion of Frog Thor, okay, that's fine. But other people are watching and are eventually going to yeah. work on MCU projects and be like, hey, Frog Thor's out there. Has anybody claimed him exactly. yet for their project? No. Okay, I'd like to. And we're off and running. Um, and, and, and if we're yeah. getting... If we're getting multiple seasons of Loki, which it certainly looks like we could, there's several more episodes in which Frog Thor could reappear in this series and right. then go from there onto other adventures uh, in, in the MCU. But yeah, I, I loved it. And uh, that was on our way down to a Loki bunker, which is just a mishmash of like all these different things from like a bowling alley and then a throne with like cheesy Christmas decoration candy canes because it's kid Loki's throne. It. Why not? I know. It's uh, so awesome. I love yeah. that. That was so um, And uh, classic Loki wants to know why our Loki even wants to get back to the TVA. Meanwhile, boastful Loki is telling the story of how he vanquished Captain America and Iron Man and claimed his prize, all six infinity stones. And uh, it's, it's just, I mean, of course, it's classic Loki to do all the bragging, just like our main Loki has been doing. So all of that is very mm. familiar. But uh, there's also a moment uh, where uh, when Boastful is making fun of our Loki for the TVA and wanted to go back, they're like, did you leave your glorious purpose there? And mm. it's important to have Boastful mock the idea of glorious purpose because this show has been taking a really hard look at Loki's glorious purpose, taking that line from the Avengers and really exploring that. I mean, it was the title of the very first episode, and that idea keeps going, uh, keeps getting brought up, and it's brought up a number of times in this episode, which sets up a rather brilliant moment later on that defines uh, what makes a purpose truly glorious. But we will, uh, we will get to that. Mm. Uh, Loki just says something like that, as far as having to get back to uh, his, his glorious purpose being left to the TVA. Um, but you know, then we got to wonder based on last week is, uh, is Loki's glorious purpose love and maybe, but it doesn't even have to be romantic. Just the idea of a meaningful connection that's acknowledged by Loki. And, and he actually allows himself to feel it over any of that sense of, uh, cynicism 
that normally plagues him and, and causes him to damage or just undercut his uh, his relationships. But yeah, I just everything about this scene and just the the production design of this set for King Loki's throne or Kid Loki's throne room is just great. Yeah, yeah. The the candy cane thing was hilarious because you think about it. If if this kid is the guy that or the, the being that killed a Thor on his planet. He would be the one to rule. Makes sense because all the other Lokis probably were not successful in that. And they would be obviously very impressed by the fact that this character did that. But also the character, you know, what is he going to have and rule and, and, and be impressed with? Well, and he's a kid. Let's get a bunch of, you know, Christmas ornaments and candy canes and make it look like it's a thrill. Oh, God, it's hilarious. I'm like, this is perfect. Mm. It's so perfect. Uh, I love seeing all these interactions with all these characters. It was so even though they're all like obviously different of, you know, you know, all over the place that the, the interaction and the interplay between all the different characters was so fun to see and know they're all the same character, but not, they're all kind of quirky and different in different ways to see that played out on screen and have a, uh, written dialogue that's, that's different, but also not completely different. It, it is a hard line walk my friend. Yeah. And you know that, I mean, I'm going to say like, it is people, you know, listen, this is writing dialogue is no easy feat, much less trying to accomplish what they're doing and make it not seem like all these completely different pe people that they look completely different are all very much alike or the same person in one way or another. And, you know, with Sylvie, it's a lot, a little bit easier because she's identifying as a completely different person. So you can write her as a much different character than the Loki we know, but these characters are all in the same vein of the Loki we know and love, but they ought to be a little bit different, but it's just like, that is a hard line to, to walk. And it, it is nailed perfectly in the scene. And I think to me, you need this scene to establish that they aren't just a, you know what I mean? Like they're not all just separate characters completely like a Sylvie. Cause that would be, that would be fine. And that would be understandable to write it like that, but you have to make them all be in line and have, and have them all have a similarity to at least to a, some kind of, you know, degree that the audience can buy in the fact that why the, all these powerful characters would join up together. And I think the scene does a phenomenal job of doing that. And again, I, I think that's honestly way harder than people realize. I mean, writing anything in these things is hard, but like, I think something like this is so underappreciated and unnoticed that like these, these parts of uh, anything of like genre film or whatever, much less the MCU just is just needs to be recognized more of like these character building moments and like subconsciously telling us, Oh, they're all different, but actually very similar as well. And that's why they're together. So I really thought I really kind of caught onto that during this part of the, totally. of the show. Yeah. The trick is there has to be a method to the madness because yes. you can just say, look how weird all this, uh, this stuff is like, isn't this great? Isn't this funny? Because it's so weird. And yeah, that is for like 30 seconds. But mm -hmm. after that, like what actually keeps you engaged throughout this episode, throughout the series? And it's because when they challenge this idea of glorious purpose and the way that they mock it in this episode, like that's really setting something up for later. But it's also showing you where these characters are at right now, because these are characters who part of the reason why they have this attitude about the the notion of glorious purpose right now is because they've all been through it. They've all followed that pursuit. You know, they've all been on that pursuit of glorious purpose, and it's led them to where they are in various ways. It's led them to where they are now, 
which is where you know survival is about the best that they can do. But it's a topic that this episode brilliantly revisits later on. Uh, we step mm-hmm. outside the bunker for just a little bit, and we get a scene with Miss Minutes. She finally returns in this episode. So even more mm-hmm. proof that this is the best episode of Loki to date is you get all <laughs> these great Lokis, and Miss Minutes is back. So Renslayer is having Miss Minutes look up the beginning of time, the creation of the TVA. Sylvia would rather know about the end of time because that's where the real creators of the TVA would have to be because if you're trying to be undetected, then you can either hide in in an apocalypse where you can't really make a difference, which is what Sylvie did, or you have to be at the very end where things are still being written. So in Sylvie's mind, that means they have to go beyond the void. Renslayer says that's impossible. It's suicide. So Sylvie figures no longer has a need for Renslayer. And a timely save, um, by no accident, Miss Minute saying, what about the void spacecraft? And it's totally a stall to save Renslayer, who plays off of it. Yes, it's a spacecraft. Uh, it's a prototype designed to withstand traveling through the void. And meanwhile, it's all a stall tactic. Miss Minutes can't find the file on this spacecraft that Miss Minutes herself suggested and can pretty much pull any file instantly uh, because there is no file. And help arrives mm. for Renslayer. But that interaction between Miss Minutes and Renslayer, I thought was very interesting because the stall idea didn't even seem like it was Renslayer's idea. It was Miss Minutes' idea. And then Renslayer yep. recognized it and kind of just picked up the ball and ran with it. And Renslayer was just kind of playing along. So it just goes back into that question as we've been asking, I mean, among the many questions we've been asking on this show, just who is Miss Minutes? And how much was being communicated there between these two characters? And yes, I'm just going to go ahead and call Miss Minutes a character. Um, And how much does Renslayer really know? Where does she stand in this? Does she actually feel betrayed by the TVA or the timekeepers, androids, whoever's in charge? Um, is or is she in on this or does she feel betrayed but doesn't really know how to do anything else doesn't know what else to do because maybe breaking free of the TVA just seems too impossible to even try Uh, I don't really know but there was something going on there in that interaction between Miss Minutes and Renslayer yeah I I, at first I thought that Miss Minutes was this, this innocent kind of bystander with Renslayer I told you but something then, malicious about Miss Minutes. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, malicious about Miss Minutes. That was a good rhyme. I like that. Um, well, well done. Malicious well done, Minutes. Well done. Ooh, ooh that's, her, that's her villain name, Malicious Minutes. Oh, dude. You can have that one, MCU. It's all you. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was watching this. I'm like, oh, Miss Minutes is like probably doesn't know what she's doing. She's probably really upset right now. I started feeling sorry for her. And then I realized, oh, wait, Miss Minutes. Oh, no. Miss Minutes? I think she's in on this. Or did she, or was, is Miss Minutes good and she was just trying to save Renslayer because she knew Sylvie was about to kill Renslayer? Maybe it was only that. Maybe Miss Minutes is really Renslayer, but just she's personifying Miss Minutes with her mind. Maybe. There was, no, there is a part of me that was wondering if they were linked in some way, but then I was like, but then I was like, but the way it plays out is like Miss Minutes has the idea first. And right. Renslayer kind of catches up, is like kind of surprised by the idea, but then like, yeah, let's go with this. So it didn't really mm. feel like they were totally in sync, but Renslayer just, you know, both of them maybe had improv classes together at the TVA and they were able to figure it out. Oh, I like this. Uh, yes. I, I don't really know. 
but terrible fan fiction aside, um, the stall tactic didn't quite work. We had some more, you know, Hunter and some Minutemen go in, um, but Sylvie is able to escape, um, although she does it in a very, very surprising fashion. She does take a Tempad from uh, Renslayer, which will come in handy later on in the episode. Um, and uh, when they have Sylvie pinned down, Renslayer is asking, because uh, Renslayer thinks that there's no way Sylvie can get away from here, um, and, or at least won't be able to go to a place where they can't find her, because Renslayer does not guess what Sylvie is about to do next, asks if uh, Sylvie ever had any good memories. And Sylvie says, just one, really. And we know what that one is. It was on Lamentous One with Loki last week. Um, but Sylvie makes the surprising move to escape she doesn't use the temp pad. Instead, she self-prunes, as they refer to it in uh, this episode. So, yeah, she sends herself to the void. And it's not just to escape Renslayer, but it's really in pursuit of everything Sylvie wants, which is to find Loki, uh, but also to find out who's behind the TVA and take it down. And I just loved this demonstration of mm -hmm. Sylvie's bravery and her willingness to get what she wants and, and what she wants actually is not just self-serving. It is in pursuit of a greater good that she's willing to do this, take this risk. All she's just heard is that pruning reset. It doesn't mean you die, but it means you go to a place where you never come back from. There's no way through it. There's no way out of it. So it is effectively its own form of death. And there's no guarantee that there's any way out of it. If anything, there's a guarantee that there is no way out of it. That if you go there, you're not going to escape. But Sylvie just believing in herself, believing in Loki, and regardless of her confidence level, just knowing that if she's ever going to dismantle the TVA, this is her only chance. So as small of a chance as it is, she still has to take it and she's willing to try. This this episode confirmed this is the best enchantress from any Marvel product series of anything that goes comic books, cartoons, anything. I mean, I think it was already, it was, she was already in the running, you know, probably at this, you know, after her first introduction. And I like the character a lot. I love this, this version of it to me. The, I just love everything about this version of the enchantress. I mean, and, it's a version of Loki. It's that's got some enchantress powers. I don't really know that we're talking about I, enchantress here. I, I consider I, I'm going to say it's enchantress because it's Sylvie. She's enchanting the freaking thing. And it's, yeah, she's, she's a Loki in this uh, universe or whatever. This version is a Loki in a different multiverse. God, it's getting too complicated. And just me talking out loud about it. But my point is, is that I, I'm considering until I am proven wrong. Otherwise in the court of Paul Herman, I, I dub the Enchantress and I will claim it's Enchantress until the MCU says that she's not and whatever. Until then. Well, the last time we went to the court of Paul Herman, it apparently wasn't a bad thing to choke kids. So I don't know about that. She didn't choke kids. They didn't, they didn't, she did not choke them. She was holding them hostage. Okay. You already conceded that point and there is tape. Um, so whatever we call Sylvie, uh, yes, like this was a great character moment for her. I, I thought she was, uh, awesome in the, I mean, throughout this entire series, but the way she stepped up in this moment, I thought was really great. Uh, just a really great hero moment for her in this. And that like all hope is lost except for her. And she's still trying, uh, I thought was awesome. 
uh, as we it cut was a baller move for sure. When she, oh like, yeah, when well she, yeah, but she hit, yeah, Renslayer did, did not see yeah. that coming at all. That was great. No, yeah, it was awesome. That was yeah. a great moment. Might be the the first self pruning in the history of the TVA, although maybe not because they already had a term for it at the ready. So maybe somebody's already done it. Who knows? Mm. Um, so we're back in the bunker. Uh, we're sipping rocks wine. Uh, so you know. Another version of Rock's cart had some boxed wine. Uh, Alligator Loki gets down on that wine. Uh, And Loki's, uh, they would love to trade uh, war stories. But as I mentioned earlier, I I jumped ahead when uh, boastful Loki is uh, sharing the story about uh, vanquishing Iron Man and Captain America and getting all of the Infinity Stones. Uh, I love that Alligator Loki is the one calling BS from the kiddie pool. Um, and, and Boastful's clap back at Alligator Loki, uh, was that he, his Nexus event was eating the wrong neighbor's cat, uh, which you could see how that would happen to an alligator for sure. Um, yep. so I, I believe it, but then we get classic Loki's story, uh, cause classic Loki is talking about how, uh, cause everybody's, you know, Loki, they love their daggers, their knives, their swords. They are obsessed with blades, but classic Loki says blades are worthless in the face of a Loki's sorcery. And because the question was, how did he escape death at the hands of Thanos, which is the way that Loki's life is supposed to end in the sacred timeline. And classic Loki said that he cast a projection of himself that was so real, even the Mad Titan believed it. That means the Mad Titan not only believed that it was real, but like he actually killed the guy. Uh, Instead, classic Loki had... Uh, he had hit himself as inanimate debris, and he was able to escape. He floated around in space, staying away from Thor and everything else, and realized uh, in all that time he had alone to think that only pain followed wherever he went. So he removed himself from the equation, hit on a remote pa- uh, planet in solitude for a long, long time, got lonely, missed Thor, wondered if Thor missed him and if anybody else missed him. But when he finally took his first steps to get off of this planet where he had marooned himself, that was a Nexus event, and the TVA caught him and then eventually pruned him, and that's how he ended up in the void because, as classic Loki puts it, Lokis only have one part to play, and that is the god of outcasts. So mm. this is classic Loki telling the story of how in over who knows how long of a stretch of time, going through a lot of the same self-examination that Loki has gone through as far as really questioning what was happening and, and why he was doing things. Although it was a different thing. He makes the op- he's It's not so much about the growth of how he needs to change and why he's doing he's, these things, but the observation that pain follows me. So there is something noble about what Loki decides to do when he realizes that, that he, or classic Loki, that he to an extent, sacrifices himself. If I'm the source of pain, then I shall cut myself out. And even more so than that, Loki, classic Loki, had always denied the value of his relationships, but it was losing them. Um, and, and that was ultimately the most, losing those relationships, that was ultimately the most difficult part of removing himself from the equation, as he had put it. And so I think this points to the inherent decency that was always within Loki that he intentionally and unintentionally suppressed. But having an inherent decency and being able to learn lessons and make observations, that's not enough. It must all lead to actions being taken, which is why classic Loki's Nexus event wasn't the realizations that he'd come to. It's not like the TVA said, 
classic Loki learned a lesson, and now that's a Nexus event, so we're going to go get him. It was him actually putting that into action by taking the first steps to get off of that planet and have a reunion with Thor and build that relationship and any other positive steps that he would have taken, that's what the TVA prevented. And there's a lesson wrapped up in that somewhere about the whole, this, this idea of how we can choose the part that we play, but it means actually playing it, not just thinking of ourselves as worthy of it or capable of it, but actually taking those steps. Um, and that's what classic Loki tried to do and perhaps would have done were it not for the TVA. I'm going to put a pin in this. A, a legit pin, Sean, because I want to. I want to come back to this at the end of this episode. Fair enough. I, I've I've been mull, I've, I've been mulling some stuff today. Okay. And <laughs> while we're, while we've been talking, I've got I've gotten. We'll just put a pin in. It. I'll just say this. But anyway, uh, th- this is important. This is important information. I think so. We'll come back. Well, I'll, I'll revisit this towards the end of the episode. So anyway, can, but yes, more anytime. Uh, Richard, I always say Robert. Richard E. Grant uh, spews. Uh, anything out of classic Logie's mouth, I, I am, it is gold, 100% pure gold. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yes. So they get into a back and forth about our Loki wanting to successfully get out of the void. Um, he concedes that they're all the same, all of these Lokis who are in this room, even Alligator Loki doesn't exclude Alligator Loki. Um, but uh, although they're not all the same, they have individual identities as, as variants, but Close enough to being the same, but Sylvie is different. And to anyone's knowledge in that room, uh, she is the only woman variant uh, among the Lokis. So none of them, of course, she's the only one that our Loki has ever encountered. Kid Loki, Classic Loki, uh, Classic Loki, Boastful Loki, Alligator Loki, to our knowledge, um, has not, none of them have encountered a woman variant of Loki. Classic Loki just says, sounds terrifying. Uh, to which our Loki says, oh, she is, but that's kind of what's great about her. Aw, Loki likes her. Uh, Loki points out how Sylvie isn't isn't trying to take over the TVA, but take it down, and she needs me, Loki says. And that's Loki wanting to be there for her. That is whether he meant it to be or not, because Loki tends to be guarded, but that's where it just breaks through, his feelings for her, wanting to be there for her. Um, But also... I think the point that Loki's making there as far as how Sylvie is different is that she's not in it for herself. This isn't about a grand Mm. plan to take over the TVA. It never even started out that way. It was always in pursuit of the greater good, taking down the TVA, not because Sylvie wants power, but because the TVA is bad and needs to be stopped. So it's a true, honest pursuit of a greater good from Sylvie, and that's what makes her different, and that's what is so inspiring to our Loki and I think these other Lokis, well, maybe not boastful, because so, he kind of messes up in a bit. But that's definitely something that uh, probably weighs on the mind and, and helps serve as inspiration uh, for classic Loki later on in the episode. Uh, meanwhile, our Loki is ready to kill uh, uh, kill Eliath, and uh, instead uh, he's, uh, but instead he is instead of killing Eliath, he's just slayed with laughter of uh, all these Lokis um, who. Just think it's impossible. Just because uh, Eliath is living doesn't mean that uh, that Loki can actually kill him. Uh, but Loki gets fed up with the conversation, tries to go up through the hatch, and he finds another Loki, President Loki, who's got friends, to which our Loki says, this is a nightmare. I respectfully disagree. This is awesome. 
Yeah, this was the the moment that we saw in the trailers, and we were all were wondering what was going on, and and again, there there's I think they're definitely hinting at something with this President Loki, Sean. It's like uh, there it keeps going up a notch, and this is just kind of like the first of a thematic kind of theme, as far as on this, you know, we have little Yoke, little Loki is a a king. This Loki's a president Loki, and then people will turn on him. I, it, it was a great moment to see just our our Loki, this this version of Loki that we were, we've seen since, since episode one, how he's seen these different iterations of himself and what that means. And and I think what's even more important is the fact that you see now President Loki as he is now, you know, above these other Lokis that he's kind of like, all right, these guys aren't that bad. Holy crap. I'm seeing myself face to face. And like, he, the, you know, they're, they're, they're his enemies, they're, they're enemies basically. Right. Mm-hmm. But then w- what happens? They all turn on him. Uh, his army. Right. It's, and it's, it's again, it's, it's created, it's cleverly done because it's all played for laughs, but you're, you're, but the writers are planting the seeds for the audience, even more so in this episode of establishing what, our Loki is seen before his very eyes that the more individual Loki it is, the more they're oppressed by what he was turning into. And, and that's just how I interpret it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I'm looking at, looking at it this a little bit that these people he identifies with besides boastful Loki. I mean, obviously they're all kind of like out for you know each other or themselves, but it was interesting, interesting to see the fact that, the one that looks identical to himself is a the president, right? He's like this high authority, right. and then what happens? That he he he, he tricks somebody else, you know, and, and whatever. But then his whole army like turns on him. Yeah, it's funny, funny. But I think it's an important part for that Loki and his journey of of change, and how that this is again. It's an important moment of seeing that for his very, very eyes, and that's why he says part of it is why he says this is a nightmare. Maybe double meaning, whatever. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's how I'm interpreting this. And I think this is definitely part, a small piece of of foreshadowing of what's to come. And we've kind of loosely talked about it a little bit already. But uh, but yeah, I think this is again it's played for last. It's a great scene, but I think the writers are cleverly supplant, they're supplanting, planting ideas in our heads of what to potentially expect for later on in the series with this moment right here and other things like it. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really good, like fun, really hilarious thing, but also telling us something that what's, what our Loki is kind of going through with the emotional, the emotional journey that he's going through and seeing what he could become and what, you know, not just in a different reality that he already saw back on the TVA with, um, Mobius, but now it's like, oh no, this is a free reign Loki and this is what he's, you know, he's doing and look what he has, you know, to have look forward to it. People turn on him. So it's very, it was a really interesting moment. I thought I, at least I picked up on that. I'm not sure if you would agree or just kind of picked up on that. Well, as well. I think on the surface, it's just the exhaustion Agreed. of it, of just damn it. It never ends, which ends. Right, at this right. point in the story for this Loki, totally fair. Uh, it's an appropriate response. No question. But yeah, I think it makes a difference that this is the first time, like he's now seen, Several variants, right? Between Sylvie, mm-hmm. classic, boastful kid, alligator, and then like, you know, 
the holographic ones, although some of those actually looked a lot more like him. But as far as outside of the holographs, uh, you know, from what, like episode two or whatever, outside of that, this, not that Loki thinks about it in the context of episodes. He's not aware that he's inside these episodes. But this is the first time where in the flesh, Loki has looked at a variant and seen his own face staring back at him. And so there is definitely a part of that that I think hits home with Loki because this is actually the worst variant that he's met, at least morally. Uh, This is the worst one, but this one also gets the right comeuppance, right? Because he made a deal with Mm -hmm. Boastful. So Boastful uh, did a betrayal of Kid Loki in classic Loki. And I know we're jumping ahead. I know there's a scene in between this with uh, Sylvie and we'll get to it. Uh, But just to stick with uh, the bunker while we're here with President Loki is... You know, it's betrayal just begets betrayal. And, you know, the the lack of trust just goes all the way around. And so Boastful betrays uh, his Lokis. Um, President Loki betrays Boastful Loki. And then President Loki's army betrays President Loki. And I think that's part... I don't really think that our Loki necessarily needs the negative reinforcement uh, around a life of betrayal. Like, I think he already gets it. And I think it's really more about his own fulfillment and satisfaction and and belief of Mm -hmm. worth in himself. That's what's driving his arc, but it doesn't hurt to cement these things with more evidence of like, this is just what this is. And it's also him just getting a chance to witness himself in the flesh. And so much of this, because like, as he's watching this interaction, um, this like chain of betrayals between boastful and president Loki and Loki's army, there's a, a part of that that has to, in Loki's mind, be like, yep, this has kind of been my life, hasn't it? And there's a part, just seeing that all play out in this little microcosm that all takes place in like 30 seconds, it does encapsulate, you know, the life that Loki was leading before all of this started. And and having that view of it certainly furthers the idea of, of like, yeah, this, this really wasn't anything, was it? Um, and it certainly wasn't anything that was lasting because everything that Loki was doing in the entire way that he was operating it's all destined to be fleeting because at, at some point, if you live a life based on lies, based on betrayal, it's only a matter of time before you're the one who's lied to, you're the one who's betrayed, uh, and you ultimately end up losing. Um, but also what happens in this scene, like uh, the fight that we get here, because Alligator Loki bites off the hand of President Loki, like gets really uh, violent. Um, <laughs> we get this crazy fight scene that's a total free-for-all. It's absolute madness. It's chaos. It's Loki. Um, I I can't imagine uh, a fight, you know, a brawl, an underground brawl between a bunch of Lokis going any better than what we saw here. But also have to give another shout out to composer Natalie Holt, who scored this perfectly with this ridiculous fight between all of these Lokis. And I mean, Kid Loki, as far as the visuals, Kid Loki throws Alligator Loki onto another guy. Uh, I think like President Loki gets smashed into a popcorn machine. Uh, Glorious Purpose is shouted. I think that was by Classic in this one. Uh, he'll shout it later in a more meaningful scene. Um, but I also hear, you know, you hear you know these grumbles about Glorious Purpose, but also um, that's when they make their escape. But how they make their escape is really key and a really great visual that I think you can actually miss because it plays very fast. But like the way they get away is classic Loki doing what he said he had done to Thanos. Like he actually creates those duplicates. And when you think about this power that classic Loki has, because they all, Loki looks back at it. Our Loki looks back and sees 
the fake version of himself as well as classic Loki and kid Loki, they're all still in this fight. They have their glowing green aura because they're fake, but they look like they're really fighting and making contact. It's Mm -hmm. not an empty hologram like Loki does when he was talking about duplication casting in, uh, in episode two, when he was wanting to make sure that, uh, that Mobius and everybody else knew that he had this power that maybe not every Loki has. Well, classic Loki has that power, but he's got a better version of it. He's got the genuine real deal as far as duplication casting. It's not a hologram. It's a real thing that can actually make contact and fight or at the hands of Thanos uh, be killed. But I liked Loki kind of looking back and observing that power. And I mean, credit to Loki and his character growth at this point that maybe he's not so petty about it. Like he's just, he just looks back at it and is genuinely uh, impressed by it, mm-hmm. uh, which was great. But then, yeah, as they, as they get away, classic Loki grumbles again about Glory's purpose, but uh, classic and kid agree that they're going to help Loki get back to Sylvie uh, by getting him to, uh, by getting him to Eliath so that Loki can try and kill Eliath. Um, speaking of Sylvie in between these scenes in the bunker, uh, we do see Sylvie awakening in the void. She awakens inside a bus. She has to run from Eliath, and she she sorta enchants Eliath for a second, and she's able to see through to another realm of some sort uh, with a large building that. And we make our way up with the camera movement toward the top, this tower, and we see a flash of this yellow light, and then we're back to Sylvie, and this sets up her plan that Eliath is the path her path forward, sort of, uh, so to speak, as we go on. Um, but right now, all Sylvie can do is run away from Eliath, and that means that uh, she's going to need some help, and there's a pizza mobile to the rescue, and Mobius is driving. He's alive, as we suspected, uh, especially after seeing Loki get reset last week. Um, but I also love that in this getaway, as Mobius is driving, that he says, by the way, you should be uh, you should be careful just jumping into a stranger's car like that, as if Sylvie had any other choice uh, in that moment. And we go back to who is like who is Mobius really? Because we know that he wasn't created by the Timekeepers or whoever actually built the Android Timekeepers. We know he had a life before this. We know that he's been fixated on a Franklin D. Roosevelt High School pen in Renslayer's office. And just the way of teaching the lesson about not getting into a stranger's car like that, was Mobius like some sort of teacher? Um, or was he a cop who like visited schools and gave lectures about, mm. you know, to kids about not talking to strangers or something like that? I don't know. There was just something so wholesome and, you know, almost naive about the way, uh, you know, like Mobius just couldn't help but share that information, uh, share that lesson for Sylvie. It didn't even apply to the situation at all, but he just had to say it. Um, there's something very cheesy about Mobius's real-life background, which I, I think was probably a given uh, based on everything we've seen and heard from Mobius up until this point, uh, but this seals it, uh, and I, I can't wait to figure out what the real truth of Mobius is, and I'm guessing we're going to see it next week. Yeah, you would think so, and are, are we going to talk about a potential Easter egg that was in the trailer and everything. Yeah, go for Whether it. Dr- they dr- well, obviously we have Mobius and I'm not, I'm not sure. It's, yeah. It's after he picks up Sylvie, the enchantress and, uh, they're driving and you see the Sphinx, uh, mm-hmm. and the purple kind of surrounding it. And those, 
again, I know if you watch YouTube videos, and, and as soon as I saw it, I think most most people will already say it, it, what it potentially could go to and what it means. I definitely feel that they're 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 definitely hinted or leading to something. They're you know they're they're definitely giving us uh, Easter eggs to you know to chew on on purpose. For what reason we don't really still know. We'll talk about that towards the end, but. I do think it's very interesting that that Mobius is driving. There's a Sphinx in the randomly in the you know in, on this uh, this this universe or world, if you will, uh, right here, and what that potentially could mean. So I, I in the as it's being surrounded by purple. So I thought, I thought that was very uh, foreshadowing in in one way or another, Sean. So I I I don't know if you thought it was a literal like it's we're gonna get it this episode, but it definitely in my opinion it definitely felt purposeful when they were doing that they're not they know what they're doing in this in, with this whole kang thing let's be real yes like this is not this this is not when you put a, a sphinx and then a purple like cloud around it i mean come on it's tough to know like because you know some things could very obviously have meaning and then some things are just you know junk for or extra eye candy for a cool visual um Although, yeah, the, the Sphinx, because you go back to ancient Egypt with like Kang, where he went back to first when he came into the future or came from the future. So, yes, uh, we have Kang origins in there. And, and we will definitely talk about other examples of just how overt the references are to Kang in this series and, and why it's not a Mephisto situation, even though it may ultimately end up feeling like a Mephisto situation, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, yeah, this, uh, I, I did notice that, uh, there's also, there's some other really great, like visual in visuals in here that play into the idea of alternate timelines and things being reset and just kind of disappearing. Like in the Loki bunker, there was, uh, the arcade game that you can see behind, uh, classic Loki. That is like the, the Ploibius game, which was like an urban legend, that I don't remember if it was like the 90s or the 2000s, but like that urban legend was a thing of like a, this arcade game that was supposedly really popular in the 1980s and really addictive in the 1980s, but didn't actually exist until like they made adaptations of it. You know, so people made actual games of it, but the urban legend was based on a game that didn't exist. The USS Eldridge, the naval ship that drops in and that is consumed by uh, by Eliath, that is also an urban legend of a ship that, you know, disappeared because of some experiments, like didn't disappear at sea, like disappeared on land. So taking these urban myths, these urban legends and and having them like drop in here as if that's kind of where they really went, I thought was a really fun touch that just kind of added to, uh, added to the void. But um, just to go back to you, some of the other things about, uh, you know, thematically and character development wise within this, you know, Loki pointing out um, when they as they were getting out of the bunker, you know, Loki pointing out that uh, nothing can change and that Loki's will keep acting like Loki's until the TVA is stopped. And uh, I think it's just there's a lot that the Loki's need to do on their own, but also they have to remove what's in their way. And that's the time variance authority. And, you know, the myth of glorious purpose. Well, what is it really? And I think we start to I mean, we've been seeing it throughout the series, but really I think the big emphatic statement is made um, in just a bit here by classic Loki. So uh, we cut back to the car ride with Sylvie and Mobius, 
And uh, Mobius is, uh, he really believed that the TVA were the good guys. And Sylvie calls out, well, he did a lot of terrible things like annihilating timelines and, and orphaning, uh, leaving like little girls behind, as uh, was the case for Sylvie, mm. or who was chased uh, in the case of Sylvie. And Mobius says, when you think the ends justify the means, there's not much you won't do, and points out that Sylvie did plenty of annihilating on her own. I think Mobius is maybe letting himself off a little too easy here. Uh, you know, calling out Sylvie's actions is fair, but I also think that Mobius is deflecting, and I would love to see more about how he feels about what he's done, but I think that will probably come up when he actually confronts Renslayer and anybody else at the TVA in next week's episode. Uh, but he does at least apologize for hunting Sylvie like a dog, so he actually gives up that point of like, yeah, sorry, I, I was doing some some pretty messed up stuff but also for mobius it's not like he knew anything outside of reality as as what he had been told and he's only now just discovered the truth which just complicates all of the choices that people have been making and, and are making throughout this story uh sylvie is ready to go back to Eliath, which sets her on course for a reunion uh with loki and speaking of that reunion so our loki has no idea how he's going to kill Eliath. We see that ship land, the USS Eldridge, and the entire naval crew, it and the entire naval crew, are completely devoured. So Loki was counting on it being a distraction for a big meal uh, that would allow him to get to Eliath. But no, yeah, that big meal is over in seconds. Um, but we do see a reunion because they spot a car. Sylvie gets out of the car. Loki spots her. And Loki runs to her, which is just a physical representation of how strongly he feels about her. And of course, I think it's also he has to know if she's okay because he's only barely seen her since, you know, Mobius lied that she was dead. I mean, of course, they fought together when they were in that room with the timekeepers. But still, it's been a while since he's seen her, doesn't know how things ended up, him just having to know that she's okay. Um, and also another great character moment for Loki is just how utterly delighted he is to see Mobius. And... Mm -hmm. We've watched Loki for a long time in the MCU, and I know this isn't the one we saw in the prime timeline, killed by Thanos and whatever, but obviously there were a part, there was a part of their path that was the same all the way through Avengers, all the way through the Battle of New York before Loki escapes in this one that was the same. And there are inherent similarities between this, uh, between all these versions of Loki, but especially this variant that we've been watching in this series and the one that we watched in the main prime sacred MCU timeline and we haven't really seen Loki care this much about anyone except Thor and, you know, and Frigga and, and Odin. But even to see that, we had to look really hard because Loki was pretty much always hiding his feelings and denying him caring about anyone. Well, here's a Loki who, in these moments, when he first sees Sylvie, when he first sees Mobius, who's no longer even capable of hiding it. And kind of like when he was told that Sylvie had died last week, immediately the tears came to his eyes, not because he wanted to show anyone that. He couldn't not show anyone that. And, and so Loki being in this place of vulnerability now, and which is really just another way of saying in this very honest place right now, where it's not just about what he's thinking, but how he's actually feeling, and us having access to that and being able to see that in a way that we never have, is just really great as fans who've been mm -hmm. watching this character for so long and, and seeing this growth in, in the way that in the outward expressions of his emotions in ways that now he just can't help himself. Yeah. And I think this is, has been a great 
uh, writing job of the team. And I keep saying that in this episode because we're seeing a lot of the conclusion, I think, from an emotional standpoint and thematic standpoint. Not quite thematical, uh, thematic stand, uh, conclusion, but we're getting there. And But I think we're seeing a lot of this version of Loki being truly changed and the idea of changing you know history or changing your destiny and all that stuff and what what is a loki can can loki change and and what sylvie represents and all of that we're seeing the seeds of that starting to grow now through this version of loki and i i, I love seeing those things those, those, and i love the themes of this show and what they're doing with this character and we're and it is a great job by Tom because Tom Hiddleston has given us a performance is it is a, this is a different version of Loki. This is a Loki that has way more compassion than any of the, ver- the versions we saw previously. Yes. Loki, you know, in the original MCU timeline, he had sympathy. He had empathy. You, you definitely felt sorry for him in certain areas. He also did some really awful things as we may have noted many times, but this version of Loki is is seeing the value of change and the value of being different and knowing that you don't have to be go down the same road or a road that everyone assumes you're going to be. And also not just the, when you start kind of stepping back and, and, and going and looking at yourself from outside your own perspective, but he's seeing that. And also how that when things are real and he really, you know, is there's truly uh, things that are evil that he's trying to explain. No one takes him seriously. And you're seeing all of that, you know, basically coming to a head here in this episode. And in these scenes, you're seeing, you really see the way Tom's playing this Loki, that he is truly, is changing before our eyes. And mm. I really do, I do love the very subtleties that he's having. And then I think that's like kind of my key for this whole episode. Lots of subtle stuff here, but it's all big stuff in my opinion, because I think subtlety goes a long way. And I love that. And I think in his performance specifically in the scene where he's talking to Sylvie and everything, it is just you're seeing the the, the transformation of this different version of Loki and mm-hmm. what that means. And so I, I, I yeah, I, I loved seeing the, their Tom just kind of, again, chew up the scenery. And, and like he's been great throughout this whole series. But when we get these great moments like this, you really see Tom shine. And it is interesting to see this kind of. Again, we're seeing Loki change before our eyes. It's not. It's, I don't think this is a show, meaning I don't think, or I don't think this is an act. No, I I and, believe this is genuine. And the way the reason yeah. I believe it's genuine is because these are things that Loki would want to hide. These are things that Loki wouldn't want to show. And 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 these are like impulses. These are emotional reflexes that are manifesting themselves physically, like with the way you see how much he cares about mm-hmm. Sylvie and about Mobius and. It's happening in ways that even they wouldn't see. Like Sylvie doesn't see him take off running. Like that's not for anyone. That's just what he feels like doing. And mm-hmm. even seeing Mobius, like I don't think that's for Mobius's benefit. I, I think I, I agree with you. Like I think all of that is very real and very genuine. And it's just so great to see Loki being so genuine on such a consistent basis because that's definitely not what we've seen with this character. But it speaks to the growth that we have witnessed. I mean, it speaks to some of the inherent decency that was there, but when he actually unlocks it by perhaps pursuing things uh, for the greater good, or at least trying to be better, then he becomes, he's not just doing better things. He's becoming truly a better version of himself. And that's a better version for others. And consequently, it's a better version of himself 
for himself. Not that it's a selfish motivation, but ultimately it's a more fulfilling life and experience for him, which is why he seems a lot more just genuinely happy uh, with what we're seeing mm. uh, in this so far. Uh, but we get introductions to other Lokis. Uh, Sylvie immediately knocks the plan to kill Elioth. Uh, Kid Loki makes sure that uh, Sylvie knows that he had his doubts about that plan, even though everybody went along with it. Uh, Sylvie thinks that the person they're after is beyond the void at the end of time. So Elioth must be the guard dog protecting the only way in. And the plan to get past the guard dog is through enchantment. And Loki talks about, um, you know, being in the void a bit longer. And he's going to go along with uh, Sylvie's plan. Because remember, Sylvie has that temp pad. So our Loki, any of the other Lokis, Mobius, although he will take the temp pad and get out of there. But they all have the option to escape the void right here using the temp pad. Um, but our Loki is going to stay. He's going to go along with Sylvie's plan because he knows she's right. He cares about her. He wants to help. Um, but he's still going to be uh, a little competitive about it, which I, I like that he was still kind of competitive with Sylvie uh, in that scene. Uh, Loki's growing so much, but he's still very capable of being, you know, a little bit petty, uh, but not in a destructive way at this point. It's just for fun. Uh, and it's much more good natured than it's been in the past. Um, and because really, I think what Loki's understanding is that he needs to listen to Sylvie and he needs to let go of petty competitive BS. He can say it as a joke as long as it's just a joke. And, and now it actually is. Um, but he is going to, you know, see to Lo uh, to Sylvie and, and follow her lead when it counts. And that's what we see uh, with him going along with her plan and, and really letting her take the lead uh, as we build towards, uh, you know, the finale of not this well the series but then also this episode um meanwhile back at the tva renslayer visits hunter b15 and uh i mean gugu mbatara as renslayer but wumi masaku as hunter b15 really great scene that would be destined to be underrated but thankfully so far i don't think it has been and, and we won't let it be because this scene deserves to be called out as much as any other in this episode when Hunter B-15 wants to expose the truth and Renslayer says that the TVA needs stability while they figure things mm -hmm. out. And Hunter B-15 is shocked by this. And it's a really interesting difference in perspective, I think, because B-15 wants what we want, what the audience wants, and what you would think that any decent person should want, to tell people the truth, dismantle the corrupt system. It's corrupt. We know this now. We got to take it out. Renslayer seems to want to understand the whole truth before sharing it, before taking any action. Renslayer wants to gather information first as if it's this work within the system to understand its nature and hopefully learn how to defeat it, which, I mean, we can consider the validity of that approach strategically, except that we can't yet trust Renslayer that she really wants to take down the TVA. We don't even know if that's true. Um, and, and who is she to decide when people get to know the truth? And for all we know, Renslayer is still stalling here like she has been or like she was mm -hmm. with Sylvie. And and really, Renslayer seems to have beef with Sylvie, grud, uh, a grudge with Sylvie, even though I mean, Renslayer is the one who took everything from Sylvie by taking Sylvie away from everything in her life and, and all of her existence. There's no reason why Renslayer should have this grudge. Why? Because the kid took her temp pad 
all those years ago and like made her look bad in front of the judge at the time, that's not a legitimate grudge. Even everything that's happened here, that's all stuff, you know, between Sylvie and Renslayer, that's all stuff that Renslayer deserves and should know that she deserves. And yet she still has this beef. But where this scene really elevates is when B-15 gets into the difference between Sylvie and Renslayer Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, why one of them is going to accomplish their goals before the other, because maybe Renslayer, if we want to believe the best version of her is that she's not, she doesn't want to uphold the TVA. She wants to take it down, but she needs, she wants this slower methodical approach of gathering all the information. And maybe she wants the credit for having taken down. She does like, she collects trophies and she makes sure that she feels like she deserves the those trophies by saying that she's the one who approved the missions. That's why she deserves these trophies, not the analysts who brought them in or the hunters who brought them in by solving the cases. We know Renslayer likes credit. We know she likes trophies. And maybe that's what she's after here. She wants to be the one to take down the TVA. And that's why she wants to gather all this information and not necessarily share it. Whatever the reason, if she's really after who's creating the TVA, as B-15 points out, you're never going to find them, not before she does, she being Sylvie. And B-15 points out, you only want it, she needs it. Mm-hmm. And that's just classic competitive motivation right there. It all, you know, Paul, this game comes down to who wants it more, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, 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 that's what's going to decide this matchup right here. Oh, God. It all comes oh, wow. down to who's going to want it more. Um, oh, God. But it's true. It's, uh, no, 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 you're right. No, I, it's yeah, a, it's no, a sports cliche that's kind of dumb. Talent matters. Um, but in this instance, uh, in yes. this series, yeah, it does matter that Sylvie is a lot more motivated than Renslayer. I mean, Rens- Sylvie has been pursuing this her entire life. Renslayer has only just started asking these questions. So, and it's, yeah, it's a thing that Renslayer would like to be able to do, but... This is part of how Sylvie has defined her purpose is going after this, which has positive and, and negative things that, that go with that. It's not all good that uh, and it's not good for Sylvie to be completely consumed by this mission, but it is a necessary mission. And it's the main thing that she cares about doing, although she's found something slash someone else that she cares about. But she is so driven by this. And I love Hunter B-15 because of that connection that they have through the enchantment she just knows this and understands this about sylvie uh and is able to explain to renslayer and uh not that renslayer accepts this lesson right away uh but she's going to find out next week just how right hunter b15 was that uh, renslayer is completely outmatched compared to sylvie because yeah sylvie really does not just want it more she absolutely has to have it yeah there was this was a great kind of in my opinion establish Renslayer as I, I think she knows more than she lets on. I think she knows who's behind everything. Minus the fact we kind of, if you just do a simple search of the character, what she, who she is potentially in, in, in this timeline or in, the, in this MCU, it, the way they're, pl- they're playing it in this episode specifically, it definitely feels like as the episode goes on, she it almost feels like she's kind of we're seeing the true side of her a little bit or as far as like what she knows and what she doesn't know and her whole conversation with b15 is it felt like she knew she knows who's behind the tva like she knows everything that's going on and she's just trying to figure out if b15 can tell her anything that she can know 
and I mean, it's obvious, but at least what we're, she's trying to see if there's anything else she can get from her to know what, what her plan is. Cause after her self-sacrifice, she has no mm-hmm. idea of the, the, you know, where she's kind of going with everything. And now with all of that, I, I love the hell of fact that she, you know, something that Renslayer doesn't even, re- doesn't even consider because in her mind, it's like, it doesn't matter. Desire doesn't really matter at this point because everything is obtainable because I can just go through time and get what I want. That's why you have those trophies, right? Well, here's something that, you know, these material objects cannot, that she, that she fascinates over and loves that again, we see in the previous episodes, you know, B-15 tells her, you know, you can't match this because it's something that she needs this. Like, you know, something that she can never relate to. I yeah. love getting that throughout this conversation. Yeah, well, here's a perfect example of you only want it, she needs it, mm-hmm. is when now the whole like leaping before you look, generally not, you know, always a great thing to do. But with this example, though, Sylvie, as soon as she figured out, okay, well, the only way through then is the void. They have to, the whoever's behind the TVA has to be at the end of time and the only way to get to the end of the the end of time is through the void so that's where i'm going doesn't matter that it's impossible doesn't matter that or that renslayer says it's impossible or that nobody survives or whatever doesn't matter this is the path this is the this is how i get this is how i get there i have to try and sylvie decisively just takes action and goes for it Whereas Renslayer is still sitting here searching for files or having Miss Minutes search for files because that's how this ends. Like after the conversation with Hunter B-15, Renslayer goes back to searching for files on the creation of the TVA. And to point out where Miss Minutes and, and Renslayer are are out of sync and maybe not the same mind slash same person is Miss Minutes almost seems initially reluctant to search for those files and provide that information. But Renslayer almost has to con Miss Minutes into carrying out the, the into carrying out that search, because Renslayer says that that people know about the Timekeepers, or whatever, and that this is about that these this is about protecting the creators of the TVA, and Miss Minutes kind of falls for it. Although I don't know, maybe Miss Minutes can't be fooled, and, and we'll see what Malicious Minutes does next week. I don't know. Malicious um, Minutes. But yeah, like I, I think something with Renslayer's approach um, still has us questioning. Her motivation and what exactly she's really after is she trying to uphold the tva is she trying to just find out who the creators are so she can replace them which is kind of a you know a loki move not like loki after his current character arc but before all of this started um maybe that's her play i, I don't know that we totally understand yet what Renslayer is after and it'll be interesting to see uh next week which complicates exactly how to feel about this. I mean, she's been put in the position of being an antagonist, but then let's see what exactly she wants. Are we really talking about a difference in approach or are we talking about something more malicious, not on the part of Miss Minutes, but on the part of Ravona Renslayer. But um, we will cut back to the void because now it's time to look at glorious purpose for real. So uh, Mobius doesn't remember in all the adventures of the TVA pruning these Loki variants, doesn't remember an alligator Loki and wants to know if they're sure that that's a Loki and classic Loki says he's green, isn't he? Uh, which solid point. Um, Mobius says, and then Mobius is talking about how, uh, you know, it's the long con with this alligator Loki and saying, it's always the game within the, within the game with you guys, which I respect. I just, Mobius's Loki fandom is fun. Um, yeah. 
Kid Loki asks uh, what Mobius is getting himself into when he goes back to the TVA, and Mobius plans to tell the truth. So classic Loki wonders if Mobius can just, just like that, turn on everything he's devoted his entire life to. And Mobius says it's never too late to change. And classic Loki, as played wonderfully by Richard E. Grant, um, Robert E. Grant to some, uh, hears this, but he really (laughs) hears it. And it sets up, I, I think, it's not just this moment, but this plays a part in it, setting up what's about to happen, the choice that classic Loki is about to make. And Mobius has also landed on one of the key points of this series, which is you're not locked in. You can still change the part you want to play, and hopefully it's a better part, meaning you'll do better, you'll be better, and as Loki may or may not be noticing, you can actually be better not just for others, but for yourself. It's really good stuff in these little back and forth moments that in all this craziness that goes on in this series, all these big fantastical settings and all of this stuff that just could be complete comic book nonsense. And I, and I mean that in the most like flattering way possible because I love right, me some right. comic book nonsense. Same. It could just be that. But then they find these little character moments in between all of these massive set pieces to really amp it up and and provide depth to the story, depth to the characters um, that just really takes it from being something that's fun to truly special and and really great storytelling. Um, And that is also, that also comes up in Loki and Sylvie having a chat. Uh, They first start talking about Mobius. Uh, Sylvie saying that Mobius isn't so bad and Loki says, or so good. I think that's why we get along. Fair observation from Loki because, hey, Mobius has done some bad stuff and and maybe he didn't know any better because he was brainwashed by the TVA into thinking he'd been created by them for a single purpose that he had to fulfill. Um, But either way, still did bad stuff. But also, I think Loki just, his comeback to Sylvie where she says Mobius isn't so bad and Loki says, or so good, that's calling back to Loki's point from episode two and the conversation he had with Mobius about no one bad ever being truly bad and no one good ever being truly good. There are no absolutes. Uh, And Sylvie says uh, that Mobius cares about Loki, and you can tell that that means a lot to Loki. Just the thought that Mobius genuinely cares about him is something uh, that uh, Loki is is really touched by. And uh, it's a little cold there in the void, so Loki conjures himself up a blanket, and he offers to make one, a separate one, for Sylvie. Uh, Sylvie would rather have a new outfit. You have no idea how uncomfortable something like this is. Loki knows, um, but there was a time when he felt like he needed it. He There was a time when Loki felt like he needed that fine Asgardian leather before it was taken from him. Um, but uh, like it gave him something. It gave him status. It gave him a feeling of power. But now I think the reason why Loki just kind of laughs that off is he's now outgrown that pretense. Will he ever feel mm-hmm. the need to wear it again? We shall see. Um, Sylvie calls out Mobius's theory about the Nexus event on Lamentus One, that it was about the two of them, Loki and Sylvie, falling for each other. They both brush it off as total rubbish, and Loki just says it was a nice moment, But it, and then Sylvie talks about how it just sounds like another TVA lie. Only Mobius didn't lie, as far as we know. That was a spontaneous realization that Mobius made, And there was no indication that anyone else at the TVA even had that theory, let alone instructed Mobius to share it. 
So these two characters, Sylvie and Loki, still have a little further to go emotionally in order to be completely honest about how they feel. Um, Sylvie knows this, um, and she knows what she knows. She knows what she doesn't know, and she doesn't know how to have these conversations, as she points out. Um, but nevertheless, it continues with Sylvie saying, I don't know how to do this. Loki saying, I don't know. I don't even know what we're doing. And Sylvie talks about doesn't have friends, doesn't have anyone. And then Loki tries to make an excuse for both of them. There are more important things, right? For Sylvie, that's bringing down the TVA. And Loki says, I mean, saving the universe when you think about it. And I love Sylvie's line here. Um, well, there's no need to be dramatic, but yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> but really what's happening here is this is the two of them calling each other out on what they can't say, giving themselves a bit of a pass for it. Um, and, and I think that's fair, but it also shows that, uh, you know, I, I think it's okay for them to give themselves that pass, but it also shows that they're holding back and, and they're aware of it. Um, but Loki tries to make, you know, a little mini move there as he reconjures the, the blanket so that they're sharing it. Um, but it's Sylvie, weird, by the way. Huh? <laughs> it's weird. It's straight up weird. Uh, we, and we, I'm not Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll get there. But, you know, Sylvie criticizes the blanket for not being very snuggly. Um, meaning she wanted to snuggle, but then she thanks uh, Loki. So now it's time to uh, to test this relationship, and uh, Sylvie says, how do I know that in the final moments you won't betray me? Loki says, I betrayed everyone who ever loved me. Talks about his father, his brother, his home. Left out mom. That happened too. Um, but Loki says, I know what I did, and I know why I did it, and that's not who I am anymore. And then he says, okay, I won't let you down. Sylvie says, you sure? Because if we make it and the TVA is gone, there might be a timeline for you to rule. And Loki just says, ah, and then I'd finally be happy. Just joking. Mm. And that back and forth, I mean, we'll get into the relationship aspect of it, but Loki's observation right there of, I know what I did, I know why I did it, and that's not who I am anymore. And then saying, I won't let you down. That was a really special, beautifully written, directed, and performed, just very... All about everything about that I love because it was such a succinct yet impactful way of a character recognizing their own arc, recognizing their own growth, and just boiling everything down to the simplest of terms. But what that means, though, is the way Loki is able to define that in such a simple fashion means that he's found clarity, and that clarity gives him credibility, probably for Sylvie, but definitely with us, the audience. We know. He understands these things. We believe that he's actually been through this, uh, that he has. We know that he's discovered why he's done the things he's done, how he's admitted to those things, you know, to himself, why he's done all of these terrible things. And knowing that he's recognized that truth within himself allows us to believe that he actually is going to do better. And we know he understands that none of that behavior was going to get him anything he really wanted because he never knew what he really wanted now he does. So I think he'll likely be tempted again. One final right. test, probably next week, maybe offered a chance to rule. But in the end, he's not going to betray Sylvie because ruling isn't what he wants. He wants her. I don't think he's just he only wants her, but he wants to be good. He wants to choose his own destiny. And that may mean that Sylvie is a part of it, because when he asks what she plans to do after all this is over, she says she doesn't know, and, and neither does he. And then Loki says, maybe we could figure it out together. And she says, maybe. And then Eliath is there, and it's time for the big showdown. But, Paul, uh, as you mentioned, uh, 
when you when you say this is weird, I'm guessing you're talking about the Loki and Sylvie romance. Yeah, it, it's. I'm just gonna go for my own personal like idea. Like to for me to think about, I could be in love with a different version of myself, even though they are like identifying it as somebody else. Just is very just. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they're going that route or not. It's. It definitely feels that way. But I'm like, how is Disney letting them do this? I mean, like, it's fine. It's. It's straight up weird. That, in my opinion, I think it's weird. And I. I would assume a lot of people will have not issues, but be like, that's weird. And some people might be like, I love this, and which is fine. You can love it if you love it. That's great. It, to me, I think it's very, it's very odd. And I'm very surprised that the MCU are, they're doing this and going down that potential route. We'll see how far it goes, but I don't know. It is. It, I was a little surprised in the last episode when Mobius kind of mentioned that, oh, you guys were in love. I'm like, what, what? No way. They're not. No, 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 no. They're not going down that route. And then having this part of the episode, I was like, oh God, they're go, they're actually going here. This is weird. It's weird to me out. I'm not going to lie. I don't think I'm alone, but it's weird. I don't know that it's weird because I don't yet know exactly what it is. And I think that exactly. I, I think for these two characters, what's important to recognize is that what Sylvie also said here, like I don't have friends. Loki doesn't have a whole lot of friends. I mean, now he's got one with Mobius, but these are characters who are not used to forming and, and acknowledging real connections with other people. And now they have one. So it's very easy for me to say that either one of them could easily in both or both of them could easily misinterpret a, a strong feeling, a strong bond between the two of them as being romantic. And maybe it's not, you know, which I think is part of the reason why they're struggling to define exactly what this is, is because, you know, normally in these types of stories, you say, well, love story. So that's that's what it is. is it's romantic. And, and maybe it is, but it doesn't have to be. And that might be one of the things right. they discover is that, well, whatever we're feeling, whatever this is, it was just us genuinely caring about one another. It, it had nothing to do with like, now we're going to hook up and we're going to be together. Um, but if it is romantic, I can go with that too. Like it's not they're not related. I mean, two versions of the same person is not necessarily, they're not like siblings or anything. Um, so I, it doesn't give, it doesn't weird me out in that way. And I mean, yeah, to Mobius's point, like what a complete narcissist that you would fall in love with yourself. But I, I think that's where you buy into the idea of them having individual identities or not. I mean, obviously they have certain things in common. Well, people, you know, tend to be attracted to people they have things in common with. Not always, I know, opposites attract, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, the romance between the two of them, like within this context of this crazy infinite timelines and, and whatever and, and different versions of Loki to the point where one of them can be an alligator, the idea that Loki and Sylvie might fall for each other, especially someone who's uh, you know, moved on from the identity of Loki as Sylvie has, if that's the direction this ultimately goes, I'm on board with it and I'm not like weirded out by it. Um, it just, it's part of the crazy context of, uh, of this series. So, uh, again, I, I, but I also don't just assume that, uh, and take for granted that this is going to be romantic. It might be, but, I agree with it, but they may yes. discover 
that uh, that's not exactly what it is, but there's uh, still a, a tremendous amount of feeling that they have for one another, uh, just caring about each other and loving each other in a different way. Um, yeah. So uh, as we get to our, our big showdown with, or we're about to have this showdown with Eliath, Sylvie hands Loki uh, a temp pad. He just gives it to Mobius. Loki is staying, and so are classic Loki, Kid Loki, and Alligator Loki. Why not? Uh, Kid Loki gives uh, our Loki his golden sword or dagger or whatever that is. Um, Size-wise, it's kind of in between sword and dagger. Uh, Mobius is heading out. Uh, he says, makes this joke about looks like Loki got away, and Loki has the comeback that he always does. Uh, asks Mobius what he's going to do. Mobius is going to burn the TVA to the ground and thanks Loki for the spark. Mobius goes for a handshake, but Loki's pulls the full, like, brothers don't shake hands, brothers got a hug, uh, and says, thank you my, for my Tommy Boy fans out there. Um, Mobius, or... I know, I knew it. I knew it <laughs> yeah, by the so, way. Uh, well, not everybody's as old as we are. Um, uh, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, we get this big hug, and Loki says, thank you, my friend, because remember the whole thing about being a bad friend and how that was really a tough insult for Loki in episode four? So... Loki acknowledging the friendship there was very sweet. Um, but Mobius, to his credit, like he just can't let Sylvie feel left out. This is just how nice of a guy Mobius is. Loki's getting the hug. But as Mobius is hugging Loki, he looks to Sylvie and says, you're my favorite, uh, to which uh, mm. Sylvie smiles. So that's just Mobius, you know, handing out hugs and, and favorites and praise and whatever else he can. Um, Mobius exits. We'll see him next week. So now it's just Sylvie standing ready to chant Eliath as soon as it focuses on a new branch, but there isn't one. They need a distraction. Our Loki tries to be that distraction by going all Harry Potter with that flaming sword. Uh, Sylvie goes for the enchantment, but no good. Eliath goes for her until classic Loki conjures pretty much all of Asgard. Ridiculous. Holy crap. How is he doing that? Sylvie wonders. True. And Loki says, I think we're stronger than we realize. Classic tells them to go. Sylvie ch says that they'll enchant Eliath together. Loki says, I don't know how. Sylvie says, you do because we're the same. And they look at each other and they're ready to go on with this plan. But wait a minute, time out. They're not the same. They have their own individual identities. So like that bit's a little clunky for me, but I understand the point. Um, and, and the point is that they're not the same. It's not that the, the point is not that they're the same in every respect, but they are the same in terms of their ability to change, in terms of their ability to have, you know, these powers, their ability to learn, um, and that they are both stronger than they realize, as Loki observed from classic Loki. So, yes, the enchantment powers will kind of transfer over, um, sort of. Sure, I'll, I'll accept it in the moment. So, uh, Eliath is chowing down on this empty Asgard and is super bummed at the holographic meal, and then uh, classic Loki holds the illusion all the way to the end as Eliath comes for him. And uh, the last words from classic Loki, he shouts, glorious purpose. And mm. indeed, I mean, this is it. Finally, this is truly glorious purpose. Of all the times it's been said by a Loki in the MCU or mocked by anyone else in the MCU, especially in this series, because that's where we've heard it the most, that this is what glory's purpose really is. It's not the pursuit of one's own glory, but finding purpose in the service of others and serving something greater than oneself. In this case, for classic Loki, 
the greater good of helping the other two Lokis who might be able to end the TVA. And so from mocking the idea to defining it in this epic and, and beautiful way is one of the great feats of this episode, along just with the visual marvel, sorry, of yeah, classic Loki seriously. creating Asgard. Yeah, this was a great moment. And I just seeing the, the, the sheer power that Loki has or a Loki has that classic Loki is giving us. It honestly reminded me of, of the original comic book Loki, John. Yeah. Well, this and is not... the most experienced Loki, right? I mean, no other Loki right. that we know of has lived to this age, you know, Which... with, with all the time he spent and probably had a lot of time to practice when he was all alone on that remote planet. And I'm, and I'll, I'll be honest. I just, we'll get to this in a second, but for this moment itself, I, I, I loved it. I love seeing classic Loki in his costume, just being, just going ape everywhere and just going nuts. And it was rad. It was a great moment and it was a great sacrifice at that moment. And I was blown away how beautiful it looked. I mean, conjured up Asgard. It's that was, that was nutty. And, uh, yeah, there was, it, it was, again, it was, it was a, such a surreal thing to see like the, the, and again, in the moment that this costume, again, this, this costume where people would always would look down upon and be like, Oh, this is like, this is such a silly looking costume in the context of the show and what he's doing. No one's thinking that at that moment, I don't think anyone's thinking of that moment when he's doing that, that his costumes look, looks ridiculous. It looks awesome. Like in the context of what he's doing right there, it looks great and you accept it. So I just want to just make that note that costumes are, can be cheesy and, and you could think they're cheesy, but really it's the actors and the, and the characters. They can transcend this the quote unquote costume. And I think it only adds to, I think, the, the awesomeness of the character in that moment. So it was great seeing this amazing visual like that Jack Kirby had created, you know, so many years later so many years ago and seeing it basically brought to life and seeing, you know, his idea of Asgard and with his character, literal creation of design of Loki on screen and you know, some variation of his Asgard on screen at the same time was really, really cool. And just a power, a, a great moment for seeing how of much of an icon and visionary Jack Kirby was as an artist and, you know, someone who could just conjure up characters out of the blink of an eye and just having them be iconic immediately is, is incredible. And again, it was awesome for as a lover of comic books and seeing that on screen. So yeah, a phenomenal moment. Yeah. And a great taking of a bow for Richard E. Grant, I, I think. And, mm. and look, this Loki faked his death with Thanos for all we know, this was another duplication of himself that died. I don't think so. I think he was using all his power to create Asgard. I think the sacrifice was real um, and mm, all but yeah. his helmet were consumed by Eliath. I think so. Can I say yep, I know that, that for yep, sure? Yep. No. Yep. Um, yep. That's what I was getting at earlier when that pin. That's I what could, I was saying. I could be totally wrong about that. But if this is the end, then what a great finale. And as I said, final bow for Richard E. Grant. And I, and I say final bow as if like he's been in the MCU for years and years. It's a tag at the end of episode four. And then this episode in which he is credited as a special guest star, uh, implying mm. that maybe he wouldn't be back, mm. but who knows? 
Um, but just what a great moment for him. The shouting of glorious purpose, but then I mentioned that as his last words. Those were his last words, but that wasn't the last thing we heard from him. I mean, he had this great laugh uh, in his uh, final moments before being consumed by Eliath. Just amazing. And Richard E. Grant just found the the right spot everywhere throughout this episode in that very fine line between just being completely ridiculous, but then also being real and being somebody who at least we could believe in as, as real as a character and connect with in a genuine way. Uh, and that our, you know, characters that we care about could connect with in a genuine way. Richard E. Grant was so great in this episode and this final moment was a perfect encapsulation of just how great and how brilliant his performance was uh, throughout all of this. Um, just what a great finale for that character. So I, I would say this, that if we see that character again, I'm totally up for it. If yep. this is it, you can't up, ask for a yep. better way to go out. Exactly. So I, I could. Yeah, exactly. Let it go either way from here. I'm good with it. Um, that's that's a great way to put it, Sean, yeah. because I'm, I feel the same way. And I, if I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would put solid odds that I think he's what we're going to be potentially see in the next episode. I think only, only reason Mm. why, only reason why I say that is that his sacrifice is so good. It's almost too good. You could say, yeah, that's, that's, I really hope not because I don't want to undo it. I agree it. with you. I, I I agree. I agree with that, and that's why I'm good either way. Um, like just like how you said, but that's the thing for me is I tend to think the reason, and this is the only reason why I think that it's solid. It has solid odds, not not because it's too good. That that's I'm just saying. Like that's one thing that I kind of thought about at you know over time, but the main part is the fact that thematically Loki is um you know he's kind of finding he's fighting these different versions of himself right sure and we don't we don't really know what this loki is telling the truth or what whatnot we see him sacrifice himself and we see that you know again look this you know loki's capable of being good and great we've already seen that in the regular loki that we in the regular mcu timeline as well the reason why i'd say that i think there's potential not saying it's, it's for sure but I think it's a solid chance is that because he's the oldest Loki and he's he's a kind of like the elder statesman, Loki coming into it and knowing what his potential future could be with that guy. Because again, we already know we don't we already know that the fact that this guy could be you know playing the long game, just like how Mobius had kind of talked about in this very episode. So I think, and again, not saying I'm, I'm like 100% sold out, but I think there's potential for him, for Loki to fight himself. An identical version of himself would be whatever in this next episode. But if he were to fight a version of himself knowing that Richard E. Grant's character, not maybe that specific Loki at that moment, but the Loki and him representing the fact that this is what I, in your potential, what you could become. And that giving that character the final realization that I have to change. I can change. I don't have to be this person that I could grow into, this powerful being. And so all of that together makes me think that's where it could lead down. And that because of that thematic were the themes that were going down thematically with this show. So again, I'm not sold on it 100%, but I'd say it's solid chance, a solid chance, not a great chance, a solid chance of happening. 
I think that Loki versus Loki is a very strong possibility, and I'll talk more about that when we talk about what Sylvie and Loki will find next, but I would just say for now, for Richard E. Grant's version of Loki or a version of Loki played by Richard E. Grant, I think if we see Loki versus Loki next week, it's going to be Tom Hiddleston because what we didn't, it's going to be Hiddleston versus Hiddleston because what we didn't really see is we actually didn't see Hiddleston's Loki confront President Loki. That didn't happen in the bunker scene. So the idea of uh, Loki fighting a much more literal reflection of himself is still out there that that hasn't been shown yet. And thematically, as far as Loki battling himself and his demons and his past and his choices and all of those things, all of those themes can be accomplished by having Tom Hiddleston fight a Loki or Loki fight another version of Loki that is played by Tom Hiddleston as opposed to Richard E. Grant. And and I would I would certainly say that it can't be this version of Loki because I would call them out, even though people swear I never call out the MCU. I would rightfully call them out for cheating like hell in this episode because there are moments where classic Loki is by himself, uh, like the decision where where they show him the shot of him making the choice to go back and help Loki, our Loki and Sylvie, where nobody's looking at him. So that choice in that moment is not for anybody. He's not performing for anybody, and yet it would read as a performance if his sacrifice wasn't genuine. And also... You don't want to undo everything. I think it's so valuable that this Loki who lived past his encounter with Thanos and the lessons that he learned and brought back into this conversation with our Loki and the other Lokis uh, in that bunker scene, as well as this sacrifice here. You don't want to, I don't think you want to undercut any of that. All of that works beautifully as is. So while I would be happy to see Richard E. Grant as classic Loki again, Somewhere down the line, I would hope that it is in a similar capacity to, you know, what he expressed of himself in this installment as opposed to being, you know, the wizard behind the curtain in Oz uh, who's been behind all of this. So that would be my preference. But again, I, I'm not. I don't think he's behind everything either, though. I made that well, clear. Fair enough. But like as far as as far as the odds I, I don't think we would see Richard E. Grant in the... Uh, I'll, I'll take the bet. I don't think we're going to see Richard E. Grant in the capacity uh, that you... Although we didn't make a bet. You, solid odds isn't exactly a bet. But either way, it, I know, uh, I know what I'll, I'll, I'll bet you I, I a receipt that. Uh, that, that I don't, I don't think yeah. that's what we're going to see uh, next week. Like so that's fair. The, uh, thanks to the sacrifice of classic Loki, the enchantment works. Loki and Sylvie are able to break through, and me- that means they see through... Uh, the, the cloud opens up and it's a window that opens to a new place. Is this a new realm, a new time beyond time, which sounds kind of dark dimension but you know, and even has some Dr. Strange, uh, multiverse color scheme to it in, in a little bit of it. Like when Dr. Strange is floating, uh, in like his tour of the multiverse sequence in Dr. Strange, I don't really think that's what it is. Uh, but anyway, this other realm and there's a building there that kind of looks like a castle and it has that tower with that yellow light. Uh, from Sylvie's vision earlier before, which makes sense because that was, you know, a partial enchantment of Eliath. So uh, Loki and Sylvie step toward uh, this other realm, and that is the end of our episode. And another shout out has to go to Natalie Holt for uh, the glorious purpose that she gave this score throughout this entire series, but then in the climactic finale of this episode, and then in the credits for this, the score just sounds amazing all the way around. Absolutely love it. 
So, I mean, it it puts a button on this episode, which was like near perfect in my book. Um, and I'll circle back to some final thoughts on on this specific episode. But as far as what we're seeing now at the end of this episode and, and what that would potentially mean for the finale, what is that castle? And a lot of the speculation immediately landed on uh, not just the castle, but that entire environment uh, being Chronopolis, which is a city, if you could call it that, um, that is ruled by and is the base of operations for one Kang the Conqueror. And even Chronopolis' existence in the comics is very, very similar to uh, what we have here potentially in the MCU. Uh, Chronopolis in the comic books, it's on the outskirts of a timeless dimension known as Limbo. That sounds a lot like the MCU's timeless dimension of the void that we were mm-hmm. just introduced to in this episode. Also, mm-hmm. the access points to all the timelines or the Chronopolis has access points to all the different timelines that Kang has conquered, kind of like the TVA has access points to pretty much anywhere in the sacred timeline and perhaps other realities that Kang has conquered or just that the void is a dumping ground for all these timelines that Kang has conquered slash erased in the interest of preserving the sacred timeline because that's the one that presumably works out best for Kang. Um, and, uh, and, And also, as far as, you know, Chronopolis also has kind of remnants of these timelines that Kang has destroyed. And we know that there's at least somebody within the organization, whether she knows about Kang or not, who has that thing, like the way Chronopolis kind of preserves certain eras of time that, you know, in timelines that Kang has taken over, not totally unlike Renslayer and her trophies in her office. So there are very overt references to Kang as they're in at the end of this, although they don't say it's Chronopolis, but it kind of looks like it. I mean, you can even see ships flying around in there a, a little bit. You see the castle that kind of looks like it from the comic books. As I said, the context of it, um, how it's located within the void, similar to the comic books with Limbo. There's so much of this that points in the direction of Kang. It may not be, and we'll explore that idea, as Paul, you did already a little bit, but mm-hmm. just to focus on Kang for a second, this is, and the reason why I, I feel, and I have felt more comfortable, I know we've kind of joked about don't say it, don't say it, don't say yeah, it. Yeah, seriously. You know, we don't want Kang to be the new Mephisto, and if Kang is not in the episode next week, then sure, it will. Kang will in many ways be viewed as another version of Mephisto, but I don't even know that that's totally fair because yeah. the references to Kang are much more solid and uh, much more overt and, and much more rooted in comic book history and direct comic book references uh, you know, for Loki and Kang, much more so than there ever was for WandaVision and Mephisto, where we were just taking the basic concept of a devil figure and being like Mephisto or an M on a wine bottle was Mephisto or House of M, depending on which fan theory you looked at. But, <laughs> you know, like it, it, there was a lot more like grasping at straws to just make anything sound like it, it tied to Mephisto that's not what's ha- that that's that was the case for WandaVision. That has not been the case in Loki. These are legit Kang things. Now, whether or not Marvel has used them to introduce Kang in this series, that's another question. But I would call it if Mar- if Kang is not in this series, this is active deception on the part of Marvel Studios mm-hmm. to point us in the direction yes. of Kang, where they can't say 
you know, if, if they say like, I don't know why everybody thought Mephisto with WandaVision, like, okay, that's fair. But if they try to say, I don't know why anybody thought Kang was going to be in this series, um, I would have to call BS on that. Just like I did when they were talking about, well, we didn't know how, we were surprised by how fans would respond to the casting of Evan Peters as Pietro or Pietro in WandaVision. No, 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 no. This is yeah. a case like that one uh, where you know exactly what a lot of fans are going to think. And it's totally reasonable for them to think that. Um, so these these certainly point in the direction of Kang Far from a guarantee that we're going to see this character next week, mm-hmm. but these are all direct comic book references to Kang. And also, we know that an actor has been cast to play Kang, not in this project, but that there's no rule that says Jonathan Majors can't show up in this role earlier than expected, and we see him here before Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. Yeah, and this is where I'm just kind of... I'm putting my expectations in check, Sean, because I just this at least with this these series of episodes of like with WandaVision Falcon Winter Soldier and um with Loki it definitely doesn't feel like we're getting it, it's going to get to that point it just it just doesn't and so I, I I'm trying to keep my expectations in check as much as possible mm-hmm. and it's hard because I really I want King to be a part of this I want King to be you know, at, at to be a, in the whole episode and, and give us a little bit explanation of what's going on and give that Ant-Man movie a little bit even more meaning. And I, I mean, I'm going to watch the Ant-Man movie, you know, regardless, but Fat King's in it does give it a little bit more of a, of excitement to be, to be quite honest. And I think that having him kind of establish himself in this show opposed to this Ant-Man three, it just would be a little more exciting for me anyway. And I don't know. I, I just don't think we're going to get that. I think we're going to get some form of Loki. If I'm truly going to bet a true receipt here, or we're talking like full on betting, I think we're definitely going to get some kind of form of Loki. It probably is going to be Tom Hiddleston. I think that's even more formulaic than I than anything that, you know, even though it's thematically like you, we talked about before the show, Sean, Yeah, it makes, it tracks. It, it, it makes sense. I wish they don't go the obvious route. I hope they don't, but they're probably going to, which is fine. But, it's whatever I, I would prefer to get a Kang, a, a real legitimate like threat of, you know, to me, thematically, in my opinion, it would actually be more impactful if Kang is the one, because he can tell Loki, like you are insignificant. Like you are destined to be this because I know that I've seen you in countless realms and I've destroyed all them or whatever. And to me, the fact that he'd be standing up against someone who are, he is so powerful and, 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 and all knowing as Kang and say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to buck the system here and prove to you being this, these, everyone that doubts him, not himself, but other people to prove it's like, that whole idea of proving he already proved to himself that he is better but the prove to other people by defeating this, this you know, powerful being in Kang or destroying, destroying the things that he is, you know, thinks is, is only right and only has to happen because he deems it worthy would be powerful and thematic enough. I think in my opinion to do that now, I don't think we're going to get that, which is sad in my opinion. I, I like that much better and not because it's my idea, but I just think it just, to me just adds up better for some, you know, for, for having, these supervillain characters. So that's why I wish it would be. I don't think it's going to happen. It's going to be probably Tom Hiddleston as a King, you know, mm. eh, I'm going to defeat that. Just again, the fact that I, I'm assuming that it's probably going to happen. 
it just kind of bums me out. I wish I didn't know. I, I hope if if it is in fact like a Loki, a true Loki, I hope there's more surprises in it than just that. Because if that's what we're to be expected, and then I just I don't know. That does not excite me. And it definitely feels like, in my opinion, I know you felt differently. I was not a huge fan of WandaVision finale. And it feels like we're going to get more of that, which is going to kind of bum me out. Because that was, it wasn't disappointing, but it wasn't my favorite thing in the world. But it's, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I hope, I hope it's not what I, I hope it's not completely what I'm thinking it is, but we'll see. Well, WandaVision at least had Wanda battling an antagonist in in Agatha. Um, And although, you know, the main antagonist of the story in WandaVision was really Wanda having to, you know, overcome her own challenges with her grief and, you know, deal with these things in a healthy way, as well as discovering the true nature of her powers. And, well, you all saw WandaVision. We have a bunch of podcasts about it. But there is, I have some mixed feelings about where I think things are headed because yeah, I have a, like you, I have a lot of serious doubts about whether or not Kang is going to show up here. And, and the issue isn't, Oh, I'm like a Kang super fan and I need Kang to show up next week or that sucks. It's not that it it really isn't. Part of it is though. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't say that Marvel is, is trolling fans if Kang is not in this, but they're not, not trolling fans. If Kang isn't in this with all these overt references that point in this direction that no, that's not it. Um, it's uh, all going to boil down to Loki versus Loki. And there are reasons why I certainly think that's going to be the case. I mean, we going into this episode, knowing that we were going to see multiple versions of Loki that, you know, the ones we saw in the mid credit scene, knowing we were going to get president Loki. I was also wondering, well, where are we going to get that guy? That is a Tom Hiddleston Loki that kind of looks like King Loki, like a guy who's actually ruling over Asgard or somewhere else. Like, where is that guy? He didn't show up in this episode. And so I couldn't help but think, well, I guess he's in the next one because he's the one in that castle over there. Uh, That's who they're going to find as they fight their way through to find out who created the TVA, that it is going to be Loki and that he actually conquered all of time and space. He is king of space, as you know, Mobius pointed out in the first episode. Like There was a Loki who actually did that. Um, uh, which I, I see the value in it. And as you and I were talking before, before the show, thematically, I can't really question it. This whole thing has been about Loki fighting against his worst instincts and, you know, finding the part of himself that's better and actually listening to that part of himself and and growing and becoming a better person. So, you know, what better antagonist for Loki to fight than a version of himself as this version, our Loki in this series is relearning or actually really discovering truly for the first time ever what he really wants and what actually matters to him uh, and how that changes his point of view on, on how he's going to operate within his own life, how he's going to treat others to take that version of the character who's learned so much and put him up against the guy who succeeded in doing all the other things that our Loki originally thought he wanted to do. Um, and, and what he thought was his destiny, his glorious purpose to put those two different versions of glorious purpose up against each other with these Lokis. Yeah. Look, as I said, thematically it's great storytelling. Like I, I can't 
knock it in that respect. And if that's what we get, which means shouldn't I just shut up and like it? Yes, probably. Um, but I, I guess the part of me that there are, there are parts of it that don't on the surface, and this is all with the caveat that it will, as always, come down to the execution. But at the mere possibility of this right now, hypothetically, if this is what's going to happen, where it may struggle for me a, a little bit is because even though I really liked the WandaVision finale, I also saw WandaVision. And like in a vacuum, this story by itself, Loki versus Loki and, and overcoming like the worst of himself in the end of this story, that makes a lot of sense to me. And thematically, it works. But there's also the point that this doesn't exist in a vacuum, that I saw a story this year where a hero had to overcome basically themselves as an as the the true antagonist within the story uh, with WandaVision. Th that doesn't mean that they're the same. It doesn't mean they're going to be the same. There might be some similarities, but there already are key differences in the two stories, of course, um, you know, with Loki battling literally multiple versions of himself as opposed to Wanda with her own internal struggle within just one version of herself. So it's it wouldn't be the exact same thing as WandaVision, and that's not what I'm trying to say, but the similarities are maybe a, a bit too much for me. And also, I think the reason why, and, and this would be the biggest point for me, is that, as I said, Loki versus Loki thematically sound, but it's not the only way to do that. It's not the only way to have Loki go up against having him literally battle himself is not the only way to have him have to confront his worst instincts to have to confront the worst version of himself that he's been outgrowing in this series it's that you don't have to do that by having it be literally a battle of loki versus loki and also sylvie needs to factor into this somewhere by the way um but it doesn't need to be that in such a literal sense. You could still have Loki against another antagonist like Kang, and it could be a thing where this King Loki is like the last temptation of Loki. It could be Kang showing Loki a vision of a possible future of this could be you, not just not taunting Loki with like, you are not, you're not capable of this, but like, hey, this could be you. If you want to rule, I'll give you a place to rule. I'll give you a place that's all on your own and you can have this glorious purpose that you wanted and tempt Loki with that and show him what would be possible. But it's still ultimately Kang who's behind it that I could go along with, because really the the resolution is still about Loki and, and not taking that choice, resisting that temptation. As I said earlier, Loki saying that he's changed now, that he's not going to betray Sylvie. He has to be tempted to betray her and then ultimately refuse to do it. So I could see this whole King Loki scenario being a source of temptation that Kang is putting in front of Loki or someone else is putting in front of Loki. And thematically, right. I think it still covers a lot of that ground that Loki literally batting him, battling himself would do, but it does it in a very different way. And so that's something that I, I could potentially see them doing. It would be a lot of fun. I know the other idea that's out there is Loki battles Loki, and that ends this series. And then we find out in the mid credit scene, oh, Kang had something to do with this secretly the whole time. But that, to me, just reads too much like the Avengers, with Loki being the villain of the Avengers. And in the mid credit scene, you find out Thanos was also behind this the entire time. So I'm hoping Marvel finds ways to not repeat themselves uh, in this story. And, and I have to trust that they will. Like, I, I know for some reason I'm 
being a bit of a downer on this, and I apologize for that, because like, there's no real bad way for this story to end. I don't know if uh, they'll all be the most satisfying for me as a fan, but there's no real bad way, I think, for this story to end based on the options that I see that are on the table. And I believe that based on the quality of the storytelling that we've delivered, that they've given us over these first five episodes, uh, that they will continue that in episode six, even if it may not sound like that with some of the worry that I'm expressing. But really, whatever happens next week, we'll just we will evaluate that as we see it and we will base and base that on uh on the execution that we get but really i don't want to let the excitement or even worry uh, about what's to come i don't want any of that to overshadow what we just saw which was absolutely journey into absolutely. mystery the best episode of this series perhaps the best absolutely. episode of any marvel studios disney plus series i think the only one yep. that would be in contention for me uh in that conversation still is wandavision episode eight um, but either way, uh, series or movie, this was some of the finest 45 minutes of MCU storytelling uh, in any medium that we have seen, certainly that I have seen. Truly outstanding, such a treat. Um, and as great as all that was, we still get a movie this week, which is pretty awesome. Oh, God. Yeah, that well said, Sean. And I, I'm with you. I, I'm so excited for next week. I think there's going to be some kind of King. I, I, there's going to be some kind of King reveal, whether it be they say his name which I'll, I'll still I'll give him credit for. I'll be honest, because I'm that desperate at this point. But I think there there is going to be some kind of king reveal. It's just we don't know how sev- the severity of the reveal is, if that yeah. makes any sense. So yeah, we'll see. And, and look, you know, I uh, you know as far as that Loki possibility, one last thing about it is like, you know, we did talk about the idea that Loki had been around and graduated and made it through the TVA. Um, you know, as an analyst and, and maybe something else. So, you know, I, I can't say it comes out of nowhere. It, it certainly doesn't if uh, we end up with Loki versus Loki next week. And and it can still be awesome because really Kang hasn't appeared in this uh, in the first five episodes of this series. And I have loved every second of it. Uh, so if he doesn't show up in the last episode of the series, there's still a good chance that I will love uh, every second of the finale, just as I have uh, all these previous five episodes, especially this one. Um, But that is where we will wrap up this edition of the MCU Fan Show. Stay tuned on Patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. We will preview some Black Widow box office and also just talk about some little, you know, pre-opening night feelings for the movie before we see it and then bring you our spoiler review uh, within the next few days. Um, But to make sure you don't miss any of that, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're getting your podcasts. And also uh, make sure that you are following us in all those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And once again, if you are enjoying the show, we would really appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. We just had a uh, something I, I, I'm calling the Make a Chill Stream, where we just sit back, just very casually talk comic books and Sean, I hope to have you on sometime in the near future. So we just sit back and talk comics. So just keep that in mind, my friend. Uh, but yeah, follow also my star Wars uh, podcast, the soccer continues on Twitter and uh, check us out with my, my boys, Tim and Kyle. So uh, yeah, I'll see you guys soon. I will definitely take you up on the mega chill stream. And uh, if you want to know when I pop up on there, 
you better follow at Mr. Sean Gerber on That's right. Twitter and Instagram because I'm sure I'll tweet it out when uh, whenever that happens. As will Aww. you know Paul. So make sure you're following on yes. you know Comic Vision <laughs> and all the all those good places. Just Aww, follow us you. everywhere. Then you don't have to worry about yes. missing anything. Uh, exactly. But thank you all so much for uh, listening to this review of Loki. Thank you for being on this journey into mystery. Uh, see what I did there uh, throughout these five episodes. Can't wait to talk about the finale with you next week. But in between now and then, a Black Widow spoiler review. But for now, for Paul and for MCU Fan Show, I'm Sean. Take care. We'll see you next time. <laughs>